movie podcast for green room i'm tom chick i'm here with christian marskley uh, i'd like to be known as tadpole <laughs> and with our green room tagline or two maybe three kelly wand you'll forget that patrick stewart wasn't the x-man and apt pupil uh, it's way too complicated you have something else i know <laughs> wow that's impressive i don't even think that would fit on a poster it went right over my head bring one much. down to my level kelly wand <laughs> It's like Star Trek Generations, but with a dumb ending. That's a bit too Star Trek geek insidery for me. Do you have oh. a dozen riff on Patrick Stewart being in the movie? Uh, finally, a movie that captures at feature length the feeling of waiting off stage. Okay. It's like Panic Room, except for the first word. <laughs> I'm only partial to... Mobile phone game Nazis, but they are partial to their dogs. I don't know what's happened here. (laughs) The the wheels have come off. (laughs) Wheels of decision have totally just derailed. You're you're like the Ah. Trump campaign of Kelly Wan taglines. (laughs) They're all weird. What the fuck? Uh, I don't envy you, too. I'm uh, like, well, we'll get to it, but good lord, what are you going to do with the synopsis of this? Mm. Let's find out. But first. It's quite a puzzler, isn't it? Speaking of puzzles, all right. This is, uh, there's not really a theme here. I just have three quiz questions that I thought were interesting. I'm going to ask them, and you guys buzz in by saying your name if you know the answer. My name or Dingus's name? Nope, your name. Say, like, Kelly Wand, and then I say, Kelly, what's the answer? Uh, and the theme is the things you thought were interesting. Exactly. Three questions that I thought were interesting – uh, I don't know. You guys might not get any of them. This might be like a soccer match where it ends up being zero to zero all around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wait, you thought the questions were interesting or the answers? Both. Or both? Oh, well, hopefully, both. The, hopefully both. Right. Let's find out, shall we? What movie was released in China under the title Interplanetary Unusual Attacking Team? <laughs> Independence Day. Resurgence. Oh, you didn't buzz in. Sorry. Kelly. That's my name. <laughs> Dingus, what? Guardians of the Galaxy. How did, did you know that, Dingus, or did you conclude it? Or did you figure it out? I concluded it since I That's will be talking about it later. Uh, since what, Dingus? Say again. Since I will be talking about it later. Oh, shoot a monkey. That's a good, oh, okay, good one, good one. But yeah, in China, it was Interplanetary Unusual Attacking Team. Very good. It sounds like something our friend um, uh, Tony would have come up with as the, as the review for the movie. Unfortunately, his review for Guardians of the Galaxy was Space Bro and the Who Cares Gang. I don't know how that <laughs> translates into Chinese. Wait, that works. <laughs> <laughs> we'll alert China immediately. Wait, why are they unusual? Uh, I, well, please. Oh, geez. Kelly Wan, do you need yeah, a raccoon, a tree, a green chick, and a schlub, a schlub from Parks and Rec? You think that's usual? The last one's a little weird. I think we all thought, wait, Chris Pratt's? All right. 
Okay. Kelly won. Ready. Dingus so is who won? Dingus has a point. Oh, so here you go. What movie was described as being a movie with, quote, a Jacobian ab-fab edge? Spy? Yeah. I mean, Kelly, spy. Kelly. No, no. This one you might not get. You guys might not get. Uh, no, you talk about Jacobian versus Victorian at some point, Tom. Well, this is – I don't know if this will help. It's from uh, Mark Kermode's review in The Guardian, a UK publication. Called, oh, he, okay. He said this is a movie with, quote, a Jacobian ab-fab edge. This might go to neither person. But at least Kelly guessed, Dingus. Sightseers. Kelly's guessed twice, Dingus. <laughs> so well, Ghostbusters. He at least gets credit for throwing out the names of movies. But that doesn't count for, towards his score, though. So far, Dingus here in the lead. Yeah. Uh, no, this was uh, this was his description, which I love, of Neon Demon. Neon Demon. That's what you talked Jacobian. Yeah, damn it. Yeah. I remember you bringing up Jacobian, yeah. And Ab Fab, of course. I don't know if this translates when you get a dork like me saying it out loud. It's short for Absolutely Fabulous, which has its own movie coming out. Right. It oh, does? it does? Yeah, yeah, there's an absolutely fabulous movie starting, I think. Wait, when? Next I want to watch it. Yeah. yeah. I, I never got AbFab. Like, I think you have to be. Mm. I, yeah. I'm not in its demographic. I, you got to sort of be in the right mood for it. Well, I assumed it was like Sex in the City, but slightly more sophisticated. I like shows about assholes, though. I think those are, <laughs> those are always fun to me. Like Buffalo Bill, that Dabney Coleman one, and the Tom Arnold one. I, like, I hope that Cynic puts that on the poster. I like shows about assholes. I love them, actually. That's, the, that's your green room tagline. Dallas. I like shows about assholes. Well, maybe AbFab 2 is too British for me. House of so Cards. That, that might be it hard. really is. It really has too much of a, a Black Adder thing. Yeah, yeah, very good, Dingus. Exactly, right. Yeah, but a Black Adder I kind of like, too. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm an Anglophile. I get too yeah. tired of it too quickly. I mean, I like a lot of Absolutely Fabulous, but but only in bits and pieces. It and, doesn't live up to the title for you. And I, well, and well, no, because I would have friends who'd be like, "You have to watch this Black Adder. You have to watch it," and I would just get tired of it too quickly. Well, we'll get into that more on our Absolutely it's Fabulous surreal. movie podcast because we'll of course want to see that for the podcast, won't we? Yeah, and argue about whether it's a good show. All right, here is the third. So Dingus is up a point. Here's your chance to tie it up, Kelly Wand. Otherwise, That's the Dingus, Test of London movie. Dingus runs away with it. That's there. I'm an Anglophile. Ready? Anything with Matt Berry. Yeah, but Matt here you go. Matt Berry doesn't make enough movies. Okay, let's do it. Janet Maslin, who uh, probably my fav- favorite film critic next to a woman named Manolia Dargis, uh, once wrote this about someone. Tell me who this quote from Janet Maslin is about. Ready? Quote. He still champions wondrous visions over bleak ones and sustains his love of escapist fun. There is no better tour guide for a trip to other worlds. About Kelly. Kelly, who did Janet Maslin say that about? That's my guess, too. <laughs> she didn't know. Uh, Spielberg? No. Christian. Ah, Dingus, what is your guess? Christopher Nolan. No. <laughs> Kelly. Kelly, what is your guess? Stanley Kubrick. No. Kelly. Dingus, <laughs> you get one more chance, and I'm going to have to give this one away. Shit. Why do you get so few guesses? <laughs> uh, Christian, Jeff Nichols. Uh, this was in her review of, of The Phantom Menace, and it was about oh, George Lucas. 
Wait, read that quote again, and I want to think he, about Phantom Menace while you say He still champions wondrous visions over bleak ones and sustains his love of escapist fun. There's no better tour guide for a trip to other worlds. I wish there had been a review of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> uh, uh, even, even – uh, no. <laughs> Why would that's I? the bleak one, and it's depressing. Oh, it's is, that too- supposed, is that supposed, that's George Lucas's version of bleak, I see. Yeah, well, it ends with lava. Actually, it ends with Hayden Christian getting cut in half, and that's actually not bleak. What? Yeah, I'm too busy just alternately giggling and just sighing with boredom in those movies. Tom, he had the high ground, all right? (laughs) The force has no answer to it. Do not want. You can't. It's not like they can jump. Well, Dingus, as the winner of this week's quiz, why don't you tell the listeners what? Oh, can I give you guys some quick? This is just so. I like this quiz, by the way. Yeah, so these were just three things that were. That were interesting. I was taking notes and thought, okay, I'll ask these guys this. But here now, to follow up on this quiz, uh, we all saw Prometheus, right? And it, uh, Damon Lindelof and uh, Ridley Scott joint production. Uh, so you guys know that now there's something called Alien Covenant in production that Ridley Scott is directing. Uh, but the good news is, and I know this, so I know this because Amy Simitz shows up, Kelly Wand, in a, in a TV series we watched called Stranger Things, and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, whoa, Amy Simitz, awesome. So she's in Stranger Things? Uh, I think I'm spoiling something for you later. But yeah, it's a small part, but she shows up in <sighs> Stranger Things. Uh, so I was looking at her page to see what, she, what she's been in and what she's coming up in, and she's in Alien Covenant. Hmm. The upcoming and so is McBride. So as I was gonna say, so is Danny McBride, which yeah, is Yeah, it's a pretty interesting cast. <laughs> but you guys it's know what... the the writer, so we don't have Damon Lindelof giving us the script this time. That's the good news. I mean the, the but the potentially bad news, the people writing the script, the three names on the script for Alien Covenant are the writers of Transcendence, Spectre, uh, no. and Green Lantern. What? <laughs> Those are the credits. If you look at the names of the three guys, those are their main credits who are doing the Alien Covenant script for, for Ridley Scott. Transcendence. Well, the I, second two, I can go, well, it's the job they were given, so what are you going to do? Like, how do you write a Green Lantern script that's not that anyway? But Transcendence wasn't that kind of a Transcendence wasn't. Oh we'll get to see. I how. hate that. Maybe. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. I was like, okay, well, without Damon. Wait, that's they're writing Alien or Prometheus Two, or that's the same movie. The same movie. Alien Covenant is Prometheus Two. It's these. Last. It's a ship that comes to a planet to colonize it, and whoa, uh, the uh, the Michael Fassbender droid is there. That's the premise. But not Rapace. No, because actually she's in it as well. So presumably either she's in it as flashbacks, or but uh, yeah, she recently it was recently announced that she's returning for it. Yeah. Last night on the phone, I asked my stepfather, and he's a lifer Prometheus apologist, why Charlize Theron didn't roll sideways from the donut ship. Right. And he said, it probably would have rolled sideways on her. You just can't <laughs> win with something like that. <laughs> because the script would have called for it to do that, of course. Right. I didn't know what he meant, but I really like that quote. Because <laughs> I didn't know if he meant, if a donut ship's rolling towards you, you're fucked. Or the movie had it rigged so she had to die. And I kind of think it's actually the first one. Never mind. What were we talking about? <laughs> what we're talking about is that Dingus won this week's quiz, Kelly Wan. So Dingus, Guardians your, prize, your prize is that you get to tell the listeners what movie we saw this week. It's not Ghostbusters, by the way. That's what we were going to see. Dingus, what did we see instead? All right. Well, this week we saw Green Room, mm. a 2016 American horror thriller movie about the music scene in the Pacific Northwest. 
It was written and directed by Jeremy Saulnier and stars Anton Yelchin, Joe Cole, Alia Shawkat. Which one? Alia Shawkat. Sam. Is she the blonde one? Those freckles. No, she's that's Imogene Sam. Poof. Oh, maybe. It's maybe. I forgot her she's real name. Yeah, no, maybe. Right, right. Maybe. Yeah, I love her freckles. She's so adorable. Yeah. To, sorry. Well, which one is she? Alia Shawkat. Uh, Callum Turner. Callum Turner, David W. Thompson, who I absolutely love. Wait, uh, gosh, who who was? Well, okay, we'll get to that. Uh, Macon Blair and Imogen Poots. Okay, Kelly, one that's your cue. <laughs> hey, you sound like a panther. All of a sudden. That's just for the yeah. name. Uh, green Green Room is rated R. Well, for strong <laughs> root, <laughs> really. Rated R for strong, brutal, graphic violence. Wow. Yeah, it's all of those things. It got three adjectives. Jeez. Yeah. This is the most violent thing ever we've seen. <laughs> it's rated That's R for talking. strong, brutal, graphic violence, gory images. What? It sounds like an album cover. So you, you have strong, Spons. brutal, graphic violence. You also have gory images. How is that different? Those are two different things, Tom. I don't know what to tell you. All right. Or There's science to it, or they wouldn't be elected. Yeah. Um, it also has language in it. I don't know if you guys heard any language. Uh, and it has some drug content. <laughs> what? Really? Oh, oh no. If you yeah. snort it, you get high? No, it has drug content. Hello, because <laughs> of that stuff that he gives them. It has N-word dope. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, Patrick. He gives them stuff. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to rely on that stuff. Yeah. I saw this weeks ago. Uh, Green Room is – it didn't do very well financially, unfortunately. It was a limited release uh, for A24, a, studio, a distributor we really enjoy most – some of their stuff. They tend, they tend to take chances. Uh, they took a chance on this, and it didn't really pay off as far as a per-seat average. Um, however, critically – let's look at Metacritic, which is the average rating for various reviews. It's at 79. Huh. Hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive – it is just short of Fury Road at 91. Wasn't Fury Road like 92 or 93 or something? What was 96? I thought it was 97 or something. Oh, well, okay. Then it's a little bit shorter of Fury Road than I recalled. But it's 91 90- is great. Yeah, 91 it is It changes. And that's just a matter of how many of the reviews are positive. So, yeah. 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 Um, the 70s always throw me off, though. I'm always like, what? Okay, because like Ghostbusters got a 70-something, I thought. Yeah, whoa, was, whoa, 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 whoa. That was spoil. a weird decade. What? That's oh wait a, a rating on Rotten Tomatoes is a spoiler. Well, what I don't want to know that stuff before I go. That colors like that that colors my opinion going in. Oh, I thought you just saw it on the same thing. Never mind. Sorry. I actually don't. When I no, like I don't. I don't make a habit of trawling uh, rotten, the aggregates before I see movies. Like I look. I thought up this stuff. was the news portion. No, I'm with Tom. I don't look. I don't look at rot. I you know when Tom says these things, this is the first time I've heard it. Yeah. Like oh. I, I enjoy looking this stuff up after I've seen a movie and like watching a trailer after I've seen a movie. I enjoy reading reviews after I've seen a movie, but no, I, I prefer going in blind. And for that very reason, actually, I saw Green Room the, the day it opened just because I was worried. Uh, you know, I'd heard about it. I liked Blue Ruin enough that I wanted to see what he was going to do next. So I went in, unfortunately, hearing that it was about uh, like something about punk music. That was all I knew going in, and I was bummed to even know that. Mm. <laughs> So that was spoiled for me. But the numbers always get me excited. Like if it, I always get excited when I see an eighteen. Oh, like you want to see how I want to see the movie? Yeah. Uh, uh, 
Well, I, I recommend a movie called In the Cut, a Jane Campion movie I really like that's got something like a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I like that. I, I, I double that. Yeah, yeah. So now it's at what? 28. <laughs> no, Dingus, you can't. You don't have that much pull, so you can oh. maybe bring it up to a 15. Sorry. I doubt that. Uh, all right, Kelly Wan, I don't envy you this uh, for various reasons. What are you going to do? Job too. Well, if someone asks you to give a synopsis of what happens in Green Room, I have two questions for you. The Wait, first... did you just say it's a rush job after admitting that you saw it two weeks ago? Well, yeah, but I didn't know we were going to do a podcast about it. Oh, uh, good point. Ago. Good point. So I had to write the opsis after I found that out. I, didn't have, I don't have these. Just, I don't write opsis for things we don't do podcasts for. They're not just oh. sitting in the chamber, dingus. I thought that was just something you did for fun. Yeah. You think I do this for fun for free? <laughs> Look at me. All right. So t- Kelly, two questions. First yes. of all, what is the synopsis? And second of all, what is the synopsis called? <laughs> Wait, isn't that one question? <laughs> Actually, not really. That's like saying uh, – that's like – no. That's a different question. It's like what's the title and what is the content? You want the title second. The title and, and content, content first. Are different things. You can <laughs> order it as you like. You can you order ask? it however you like. You can actually – I would encourage you, if you feel it's appropriate, read us the synopsis first and then afterwards tell us the synopsis title. Some movies work that way, you know. All right. Hang on. i got to add it to the end really quick. <laughs> also, it's two but, words. Um, so that's not – it's not just one question. It's a two-word title. But what you're basically saying is, hey, Kelly, do the entire opsis and then tell us the title. No, just tell us. Ask the questions. Yeah. It's up to you. So like I said, some movies. No, I want to try it Tom's way and see if it makes a difference. Right. Oh, good Lord. A van with people in it drives. They're an unfamous band. Yelchin's all. Maybe we should name ourselves. Everyone's all. <laughs> Shut up, Yelchin. They drive to an interview room. A college radio guy with hair's all. Okay. First tier, a couple of softballs just to loosen things up a little. Who are you guys? What's your band name? The jock of the group's all, shut up, Yelchin. The guy's all groovy, man. Hang on, just got to write that down. Recording all this, too, but I feel like you lose something when you hear it. Plus, I'm deaf. Speaking of which, what are your musical influences? The jock of the group's all, our grandparents, out of sight. So where do you see yourselves in 10 years? Actually, uh, make that eight. I said softballs. Those are my favorite. The guy with the skinny head of the group, Saul. We weren't listening. The interviewer's all, that's dope, yo. Hey, what's your album called again? No one says anything. The interviewer turns the recorder off. Okay, sweet. Think I got all I need? Oh, yeah, this is when my cousin makes me ask. What desert island do you guys know the name of? The drummer's <laughs> all. Was Lost the name of the island? The interviewer's all, yeah, but I think that one's tropical. Not desert. Fuck, now the whole interview's ruined. He turns the recorder back on. Great, I think I got all I still need. Oh, also, here's your money for not playing in songs during the interview. The jock counts it and goes, When you said 240 on the phone, I thought you meant 240. The guy's all slamming. Hey, listen, if you guys want a safe gig with cool people and a fun atmosphere, there's a cabin with a swastika on it down the road a piece. Just make a Polish left at the Burning Crosses. My cousin runs it. Same one who came up with that kick-ass Desert Island question. He also played a villain in Masterminds. Anyway, good luck. He does a Nazi salute with his fingers making a V like in Star Trek, but they don't realize it's foreshadowing. They drive down the road and eventually find the correct swastika-covered burning cross-bedecked roadhouse on the third try. When they go inside, the jocks all, Shit, man, this place is full of skinheads, including Patrick Stewart, the girl with the, mo- <laughs> the, girl with the mohawk of the group's all. How can they do that to themselves? 
Yelchin's all, hey, you guys want to do something ironic? They go on stage and play hair. The skinheads boo and pelt them with jackboots and schnitzel. One's all, play something random. Another's all, make America great again. Yelchin sighs. Then just to be theatrically nonconformist, he glues together a broken guitar and does some math homework. The skinheads all cheer and raise lighters, then raise miniature crosses and set them aflame, cheering and hooting like barnyard animals. Later, what the fuck, man? When you said 240 on the phone, you didn't say it was in sand grains. The skinheads all, you should have seen him before I cleaned him. A guy with a pierced brain pushes from the crowd, claps, wipes tears of joy from his pierced eyes, and hugs Yelchin. He's all, dude, that's the best live show I've seen since James Franco made Michael Caine drink urine in an airplane six days ago. Yelchin's all, performances, crafts, sir, move along. The girl who played maybe on Arrested Development is the trianglist of the band. She's all, hey, Yelchin. I uh, forgot my phone. That's it. We'll, uh, we'll all still be here when you come back down. We're not leaving or anything. Okay, I'll go get it. He goes upstairs into the green room and trips over a girl with a knife buried to the hilt in her eye socket. A fat guy standing over her drenched in blood's all. Damn it, can't you see me and her trying to find my knife? A sullen blonde goth girl nearby sighs in resignation. Why does this keep happening to me? Yelchin's all. Whoa, hey, look, I didn't want any trouble. I just came up to get this phone here. Hang on, I'll text maybe that I have it. Hey, maybe I have your phone up here. Send. Okay, hang on, I'm getting a text back. It says, hey, maybe I have your phone up here. (laughs) Classic maybe. The rest of the band slouches in. Maybe's all. Hey, Yelchin, you got the van keys on you? We can't ditch you without them. Holy shit, what a cool-looking knife handle. Another bouncer comes in. He looks around and goes, shit, yeah, uh, hey, guys, I need to destroy, I mean, borrow all your cell phones and lock you in here while I call the gunmen, I mean, police, so they can dispose of your corpses. I mean, Yelchin's all, okay. He puts all the cell phones in a sack and hands them over. Also, can you bring us a bowl that's not just brown M&Ms? Oh, sorry, I thought you guys were rockers. He shuts the door, locks it, then shouts, Ha ha, okay, you're all going to stay in there and get murdered for witnessing a murder. And your music sucks. The goth blondes all. You're still in the room with us. Oh, shit. He reopens the door and sheepishly steps through it. Then he's all, okay, uh, I'll be right back. By the way, I did really like that first number from your album. I really felt like I was a candle on the water. Then there's a knock on the door. A man with an Oregon German accent is all, Hello in there. This is Patrick Stewart. <laughs> First off, I didn't see it, but great music show out there, by the way. (laughs) Also, I really enjoyed the interview on college radio. I heard you do with my cousin that I heard on the way over. Now to murder you meddling teens and reclaim my heroin lab. A cop's voice from the phone Stewart's holdings all. Oregon Police Department, sir, could you please repeat the part about the candle? (laughs) Stuart hastily hangs up, goes downstairs, grabs two skinheads, one with an eye patch, and goes, Right, I'll give one of you $20 for the same one of you to stab the other in the eye. Both the skinheads high-five excitedly. Stuart's all, Now who wants to be the stabby? They both raise their hands. The cops come and go off screen without slowing down their car. Ten minutes later... It's fine. Yelchin presses his face to the door and goes, Okay, so what are you saying there, Captain? 
Right, it's quite simple, Ensign. You trade me the fat bouncer with the broken arm in exchange for a pistol. Then I come back in five minutes and you give me the gun back for two bullet casings while I slide the bouncer's arm under the door. Then I trade you a grenade pin for the key to the lock. You roll the chance cube. I trade you Anakin's mom for the pot racer rust. I wire you the change in VR. And then in the morning, we start all over. Yelchin's all, all right. He opens the door a bit. There's a few minutes of blood and sawing noises, then he retracts his arm back into the room and shuts the door. His hand's been hacked off, and now there's a pit bull chewing on it. He reopens the door again and goes, I think I still owe you 20. <laughs> I lean over to Marathon Man Lawrence Olivier sitting beside me and go, Hey, the only number that has the same number of letters when you spell it out is four. The jock of the band's all, Shut up, wand. Okay, I think your haggling's... <laughs> Okay, I think our haggling's worn out Star Trek boy out there. Now, there's four of us, not counting the dead girl with the knife in her eye. I have a good feeling about us getting out of here alive, but it's going to require split-second timing and perfect coordination. Yelchin, you go left and watch the flank. Goth blonde, you hold off the dogs with your piercings and ennui. Self, you shine a flashlight on Patrick Stewart's head. Hopefully the glare will blind the rest of them, permanently. Maybe you hold that cool pitchfork you just made out of my drumsticks and the guitar neck there and scream till they open fire. Who's with me? They're all, another of the bearded bouncers opens the door and goes, I'm on your side, by the way. (laughs) Yelchin's all, this reminds me of the time I played paintball with Colonel Mustard. The jock's all, let's do this. They open the door and charge out screaming. Then after a few seconds, come back screaming to shut the door. The screams fade. We hear gunshots, dogs growling, chainsaws, heads exploding. The door opens again and Yelchin and Gothblonde shuffle in alone, glum and blood-drenched. Yelchin's all, I thought he meant my left. Gothblonde's all, hang on, I just wanted to make sure this one dude we choked out earlier is dead. She opens a box cutter and slashes open the bouncer on the floor from navel to Adam's apple. He's all, ow! God! (laughs) Why? Fuck! (laughs) (sighs) Jesus. She's all, hmm. By the way, Yelchin, when you scared the pit bulls down there with your microphone feedback, that was super MacGyver, I thought. And also Home Alone, if the protagonist looked younger. Yelchin blushes and goes, I thought it was pretty cute when you threw firecrackers at me in the heroin lab. Yeah, I was hoping maybe the heroin was combustible. So now what's our plan? Another bearded guy opens the door and enters. He's all, hi, I'm on your side. I'm a different guy, by the way. They all shoot skinheads on their way to some parked pickup trucks. Their beard friends all, hey, yo, you don't want to see what they're doing with your friends' bodies around the corner here. Yelchin's all, shooting them to stage their deaths? Oh, well, then, yeah, I guess you do want to see it. All right. Bye. A few feet away, Patrick Stewart's telling his remaining buddy, then I shoved the priest out of the way, grabbed the groom's hand and the bride's, placed them together and said, engaged. Never mind that now. Here, put the pistol in this one's hand and shoot it at this one's skull tattoo. No, put it in his hand. That's not his hand either. Zeke Island Prosper. Must I do everything? What do you mean Anton Yelchin and Gothblonde are standing right behind me with guns? Oh. Yelchin and Gothblonde trick Patrick Stewart by aiming for his head. As a pit bull wanders through the shot farting, Yelchin and Gothblonde sink exhaustedly to the grass. Yelchin's all, hey, I thought of another paintball story. She says what women always say in response to everything I say. <laughs> Green Rupsis. 
Sorry. <laughs> it's kind of short. Did no. Not that works for me. Uh, there are a few factual good. errors, but for the most part, it works for me. First off, just to get the elephant out of the green room, I just want to say how outraged I am that they remade this with women. What? He's making a oh, wait. joke. A what joke? Ghostbusters joke. Oh, oh, as if we were doing it right. Yeah, so Kelly Wan. That. Silence that refreshes. That's my reward for that. Save that for the Ghostbusters podcast. Interesting. That would be funny. Uh, well, we'll find out. You know, you guys saw this way before me, and I want to say it was a much quieter movie than I was led to believe from your talking it up. But maybe just because... What do you mean by quieter? I don't know. It was just kind of... It wasn't like a... I, it, like, when everyone talked about Green Room, it was like with a this sort of... Rebel, oh, my God, Green Room. Oh, it's going to blow your mind. Or did I maybe mishear what everybody was saying? You obviously listened to guys. the 91% on Metacritic. Obviously, it's good. I just I don't know. I didn't actually know what kind of movie it was. I really went in cold. So you haven't seen Blue Ruin then? You did not see Blue Ruin. No. Okay. You told I misunderstood what you said about Blue Ruin. Well, the the reason to see I feel to see Blue Ruin is one of the actors in in Green Room is named uh, uh, Macon Blair. Uh, so Jeremy Solnier, his last movie was Blue Ruin. The lead actor was Macon Blair, who plays I think his name is Gale in in Green Room. He's the the manager who ends up. Uh, by the end of the movie, agreeing to go get the police, the one that, that's sent to mop up, and he's in the apron, literally hosing the walls down. That actor's name is Macon Blair, um, and he's really phenomenal in Blue Ruin, and it's just awesome seeing him do a different kind of part in Green Room. I think to really so it's an actor it. thing. It's an actor thing, very much an actor okay, thing. Okay, all right. Uh, and even a little bit of a director thing. Like, I think... I, Dingus likes Blue Ruin more than I do. I, I like Blue Ruin. Blue Ruin is really good, but uh, it's not nearly, I don't think, as as tightly wound or as dense as Green Room. Um, mm. So I think it's a good one to sort of – it's a good appetizer, I feel, for Green Room. Okay. Um, uh, but no no big deal if you haven't seen Blue Ruin. I mean they're, they're different enough. They're totally unrelated though, right? Yeah, yeah. There's Because no I started Blue Ruin, and I was actually really into it, and then for some reason I didn't finish it. Like I got uh, distracted by something falling on me or something. I don't, okay. feel, I don't feel that they are unrelated. I mean, there's no like l- the legitimate. Titles. There's no legitimate like character connective tissue, but I think there's a lot of thematic connective tissue. I think it, I think seeing both of them is worthwhile because I think that a lot of the things that go on in both movies, it's interesting to see the way Sonia happens happens to uh, handle both of. Both of, I mean, the same things differently in both movies, and, and that's one of the things I love about having seen Blue Ruin and Green Room, uh, because I think there's a lot of things that relate. But you know, I'm not saying that there are characters that relate or, or that there's a that it's a sequel in any way. It's just interesting to see the director use some of the same things in both movies in different ways. You don't have to see Blue Ruin and. To, to be able to enjoy Green Room, but uh, yeah, I, Tom's right. I really, really love Blue Ruin, and I've seen it a few times, uh, and every time I watch it, I get a little bit more out of it. It's just such a great movie. I, I wish I'd seen it that year. Blue Ruin? Yeah, I really do. Um, I, I, I'm really I'm really pretty crazy about it. And, and a lot of it, and Tom is absolutely right, a lot of it is, is because uh, of how great uh, Macon Blair is. Macon Blair is wonderful in that movie, but and he's wonderful in this movie too. Uh, one of the things that's that's 
the thing that he does is this all this like this gape mouth sort of I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe this is happening at this moment kind of thing that he does that is so beautiful and not vacant. Um, it's just this uh, like when he says in in green room, I, I want to go to I want to go to prison or I want to go to jail. Um, and the way he like his mouth falls open when he's when he's saying those types of things or when he's cleaning things down and the any any and they climb out of that hole. Uh, I mean, I love the way that guy looks and the way his face looks so surprised to be where he is. Um, it also, I think, robs a little bit of of Blue Ruin of its impact. Uh, what uh, Jeremy Saulnier does uh, physically with his face. It's a significant moment in uh, mm. Blue Ruin that if you know what the actor looks like, if you're familiar with him, I, I think it's not as powerful uh, if you've seen Green Room before you see uh, Blue Ruin. All right. Very good point, Tom. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Kelly, uh, you, though, are a horror movie aficionado, as am I. Uh, I would have assumed that uh, on, on that level you would have really appreciated Green Room. No, I did. Okay. I just – for some reason, the poster and the – because when I saw um, – I had a choice between seeing this and High Rise, and I saw High Rise instead of this, and everyone was like telling me, oh, you made, you made the wrong choice. Like Green Room is so much better than High Rise. And they're really just two – they're apples and oranges basically. Right, right. But Tom and, and I really like loving High Rise. Yeah, and I did too. I watched it the second time made me like High Rise more. <laughs> but um I don't know, with Green Room, I enjoyed it, but I was having trouble following it for some reason. Well, I that's something that actually I I uh, is that intentional. Um it it's Green uh, Green Room is really really and I'll use that word again, dense. There's a lot of information in it that is right. really subtle. The the dialogue which you can miss. I've seen it three times now. Uh and even the third time, I was like catching new lines that I didn't realize were in there. Uh, mm-hmm. And there, a lot of the backstory, I think, if you're not, you, you can miss a lot of the. I think I, mean, I feel like I did miss a lot, like of character that. motivations and stuff, and why. Like for instance, Kelly Wand, uh, here's a quiz, <laughs> not really a quiz, but do do you know why uh, Emily was was murdered? Like what what the motivation behind the murder was? Because uh, she wanted to leave the group. The skinhead group, right? And do you know with whom and why that would be a problem? The boyfriend. Good. Okay. Well, 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 who well. came in the first one to help them, right? And then he got shot in the head. And do you know why that would have been a problem, and what the the plot reveal is about that in relation to Patrick Stewart? Uh, it's got to be related to the heroin lab. But I thought they were just. What I thought was happening was that because there was a murder on the premises, they had to get the cops to assume it was an innocuous stabbing in a bar issue. And that's correct. So they didn't find so they didn't find the heroin lab. Yeah, that's partly correct. Yeah, right. but uh, okay. so that's what I got. What what unfolds, and there are a few levels on which this works, and on which you find out information about this, is that Daniel and Emily. Daniel's played by I think his name is David Webberd. Uh Emily, we we see lying there as a corpse most of the time. Uh, they are in love with each other, but Emily is with the lead singer of Cowcatcher, that guy named Worm. Uh, and Daniel is one of the up-and-coming like red-lace thugs in, in this neo-Nazi group. Um, at one point, Daniel is given a baseball bat to dispose of, which is presumably evidence in a murder. And this was some time right, ago. Okay. Uh, yeah. He instead, because he's in love with Emily, there's this kind of uh, – and, and all this, we don't – we we don't see we never see them together by the way we just know through clues that they're together and when you watch this a second time knowing that 
you hear this referenced in things that Tadpole says, uh, in the way that Daniel reacts when Tiger comes out and says something about, yeah, if you and your girlfriend are going to crash there, and when Daniel holds him, throws him up against the van and says, don't fucking talk about that. Uh, this story emerges that he was going to take this evidence and run away with Emily uh, and use this evidence either as a bargaining chip or either to turn them in. Uh, for a, an earlier murder. Uh, and so when Patrick Stewart finds this out, and he, he literally kisses Macon Blair, Gail on the forehead, and says, you and Worm, the guy who committed the murder, you've just saved us all. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a, a sort of an important plot point. And I, I feel that part of what makes Green Room really, really good is the, the density of these bits of information and these character motivations. Um, normally in a siege movie, especially a siege movie that's a horror movie, the, the seizures are kind of unseen, and, and you might know their right. motivation, but you don't know their plans. Uh, this movie is, is completely omniscient about the characters on both sides, and I think it makes it uh, way more compelling to, to see how smart – like Patrick Stewart is, for instance – to see what the stakes are as this situation is spinning out of control. Um, and a lot of this is uh, – And he's pragmatic. He's, he's pragmatic and right, and, and he, and he remembers – like when he remembers the shotgun under the bar, it just you – know, you see the moment where he realizes it, and he says, whoa, what are we forgetting? And then uh, they cut away, but you know he tells the guy, go in there, get the shotgun under the bar before David does. Um, so there's just a lot going on. There's, there's, here's another way. There's not a single frame or moment. Well, that, that, there are no throwaway bits in this movie. This movie is just dense and muscular and informative, and it, it tells you a lot about its characters uh, and who they are. Um, so for, for that reason, I mean, I just – it's a horror movie. It's great. But as this kind of omniscient procedural about a siege, I think it's amazing and, and almost unprecedented. I mean, uh, yeah, and the geography matters, and that's uh, something I, that's something that was missing for me, if I may, from Olympus's Fallen or the White House movie. Mm -hmm. Like green rooms, how you do that correctly? So explain what you mean by geography matters. Well, they're in a green room, so the, the oh the, the layout title of the movie, right, right. yeah, but the fact that the lab is under them, I see, and right, right. the door. They're, they're in a very small room with a door that's very flimsy, but they have – there's only one way out, but there's only one way in too. So they have control of that very small space. Um, right. But then I, I, once they leave the green room, I start kind of getting murky. Like I start trying to go, wait, how big's the club and how the, why can't the crowd hear them if it's like – like, are, isn't it just up, uh, like a couple stairs and down one hallway? Yeah, yeah. So it, it seems like a, a pretty small place. Uh, right. And the reason the crowd can't hear them is because there's either music or the crowd is gone. Like, I, I think it's that's another thing where it's very clear about the procedural. Is where Patrick Stewart is like, you know, the whole this 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 the whole crowd has seen them just play a set. You know, right. what are we going to do about that? How you know, how are we going to kill them with guns? And we you know, right. It's like an impossible situation for right. them. And so, getting the crowd out of there is part of what he what he does, uh, and deciding who to keep around. You know, that's where you learn things like about the red laces and uh, and everything is so. Uh, and Blue Ruin has a bit of this. Blue Ruin doesn't enjoy the the density of like the the contained. Uh, Blue Ruin isn't just a single episode like Green Room is, uh, but as a single episode, everything is so carefully staged in Green Room, which is one of the things that I, I love about it. Um, Dingus, real quick, so I want to. Uh, this is one of those movies where the title is never said in the movie. 
Uh, you and I would know what a green room is. Why don't you explain? I think Kelly alluded that he knew. Think is, what's a green room and why is this called green room? Well, it's the room that the performers have to wait in before they go on stage. So they have to go in that room. They have to uh, get themselves prepared before they do their stage check, As uh, in the, at least as far as this uh, movie is concerned. It's like uh, your uh, your sound check is at this point and your performance is, I don't know, it's like five or maybe five minutes before they actually have to perform. So the green room is where the performers wait, whether it be in this thing or in a stage play or in something as far as like the Jimmy Fallon show where the performers wait before they get called to go on stage. Right. Uh, Now, Dingus, you are the – you're the sort of the horror padawan of this podcast. Uh, How did – that's a fair assessment, right? Uh, How how did this – so you obviously liked this. Was it a bit too much for you, Dingus? Never, never a bit too much for me. Yeah, I, I, I find this movie almost physically sickening in that in that how tense it is. Oh no, uh, it's it's completely tense because we we first went to see it in a theater. Uh, you had seen it before that, and then you said, "Hey, let's go see this." Uh, we went to see it in the theater again uh, with me, and um, I'm I, I'm a, I think of myself as a terrible person to go see a horror movie with because I. I, I squirm and I squeal and uh, I'm I'm just not able to contain myself, um, but I won't look away from what's going on on the screen. And I've seen it a couple times since then. Um, um, I I think it's not. I, I mean, it's it's not a horror movie that makes me afraid uh, uh, in in the way that say um, I don't know. Twenty-eight weeks later, just to say another Imogen Poots movie might make me feel like when kids are going into a room and you're afraid what's going to leap out at them, uh, or little kids, or that kind of danger. Um, but it's it's imminent danger. It's it's constant uh, driving, grinding danger, which is perfect for sort of the punk scene. I think. Uh, I mean, this this sort of hammering feeling this movie feels. Um, but you know any of the the that cutting or stabbing or any of that stuff, which I think of as more gory, which I think that uh, Jeremy Solnier does in Blue Ruin as well. He he seems to like punch, uh, stabbing people in the head and shooting them in the face before they can say something. Uh, that seems to be something that he does a lot, or at least, at least in these two movies. Um, it 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 doesn't shy me away from it because I'm so into the characters. Um, I don't know. It, so it didn't. It didn't. It didn't scare me away. It scared me, but it didn't scare me away. And that, that's why, it, for, I think, even as a guy who loves horror movies and who finds a lot of silly gore effects kind of goofy, that's why this movie was so difficult for me to watch, and why I do think it's uh, it, it is like physically sickening. Like it hurts my stomach because uh, the characters are so likable, and because the situation. The, the way it unfolds is just so – like you're so keenly aware because of – you see what's happening on both sides of how screwed they are and how ruthless the opponents are and how ill-equipped they are to deal with this situation, um, except for a few awesome times when they aren't. Like I love – oh, shoot. What's Joe Cole's character's name? Reese. No. Reese. Yeah. I it's love Reese. Yeah. I love that we find out you know, that, 
that he can handle Big Justin. Like Big Justin in the room in any other movie, that guy they'd have to like shoot him or right. but to have the little guy be able to completely incapacitate him. Like that's there's so many little unexpected things like that. I, by the I, way. I love the way that they do that with 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 Reese's character because the rest of the band is like, I don't want to hold this gun, but Reese is, is has has taken care of that uh, taking care of that guy and he's like this is what we would do in a tap out so it's clear this guy is a wrestling aficionado he knows exactly what he's doing he's like this is how you deal with the tap out and this is what's going to happen when i break his arm i mean and he gets up and he handles the gun and then he goes right back and does that i mean he he's super badass but he i mean he i, I love the way joe cole plays that character he's so great uh, I would almost recommend a Danny Houston movie he's in called uh, what it, like The Deep or Depth or he plays like a deep sea diver who uh, Danny Houston saves. Uh, but it's a terrible movie. Don't see it. Um, but yeah, I love Joe Cole. I, I want to see more of that guy. Uh, and that 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 mm. too, like the fact that, and this is this is what gets to the the fact that it's a it's a stomach turning movie for me. How unceremoniously and suddenly and unexpectedly his character is dispatched after yeah. after you find out how competent he is. And, mm-hmm. and the same with David, by the way. When David comes in, you're like, oh, it's going to be that kind of movie where the one guy is going to defect and help them and how quickly he's dispatched. And David? Oh, Daniel. Okay. Daniel, Daniel. I thought you were – okay. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, d- yeah, it's just – it's a really hard horror movie for me to watch as someone who can take – you know, I, most horror movies, I, yeah, I'm fine with them, uh, but this one was just really tough for me, um, simply because of that. Um, his also, I, I, I uh, the the prosthetic gore effects in this, um, they're used. I wouldn't say well, I would say sparingly in that it's not. This isn't a gore movie, but the you know when when Anton Yelchin withdraws his arm. Uh, and you sort it comes of... way after it happens too, doesn't it? No, because he sticks no. his arm out there, and that whole thing, like that's where all hell breaks loose. Like there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's like one of those things that's so carefully staged, almost like you know the overlapping bits at the end of Star Wars, where you've you got see the Death the Star and the lightsaber. No, you don't see the hacking, but the hacking is going on. Big Justin having his arm broken is going on. She, uh, and uh, Imogen Poots is looking at the boots underneath through the vent. Well, that, that's, a, that's another example, too, of just the meticulous staging that Jeremy Saulnier does. Because when right. they first are struggling with Big Justin before uh, the negotiations through, through the wall, mm-hmm. there's yeah, a yeah. shot of, of – I guess it's Joe Cole hanging onto his back, his boot kicking the vent yeah. so that it's yeah. broken. And then when they make the deal to hand the gun out, Imogen Poots is looking through the broken vent, and as the door is opening inwards towards her and she can see to the left – she sees boots with red laces, and we've already right. established what red laces mean. Right. So just all those little bits tie together. These two minor things that were introduced earlier in the movie explain and sort of lead up to and they inform why and how all hell is breaking loose during, during right. that sequence. Right. Um, and I, and I love how red laces plays into this whole thing because one of the things that interests me about what Kelly Wand was saying about um, the I don't I, I don't think he said sense of place but maybe he said the setting of it geography um, yeah the geography uh, for me there's there's a there's a geography of vocabulary that goes on in this movie that I love I love in this kind of movie that sets up its own basic culture or sets up its own basic tribe. So there's there's these things like the red laces, which I think uh, it's it's beautiful how that plays out. 
and when when he hands when Darcy hands over the red laces to Gabe, and and the way Gabe looks at him with this, oh my gosh, this is happening, and how Darcy says to him, this isn't just because of now. This was happening already. This is just cleanup, but this is happening already. But there's also all these other things that Darcy says, like this is supposed to have happened already. Time to sprint. I mean, there's there's all these little ways that they use language in this movie, or that I should say, Sony uses language in this movie that that make it like w- we have created our own culture and our own subculture of language that we all understand. Like, do we need a believer? How about two believers? How about two true believers? Sloppy's that, fine. Yeah, yeah, right, right. All that know, stuff is exactly. Great, yeah. Sloppy's fine. You know what are the rules? And and he and he tells cousin Daniel the rules. That the 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 dog guy tells him the rules. You know it's it's blades only. Sloppy's fine. Uh, try to avoid the bone. You know try not to hit the bone. Yeah. Um, and you have to figure that out. Like Tom says, you have to kind of figure out. Well, wait. Why why is that happening? And why are they talking about uh, it'll happen tonight? We're going to stage it farther up the road. But everything seems to be that had this have this great almost David Mamet like shorthand without being obvious Mamet. It, it just seems like this feeling of this this is their I don't know if you would say patois or the, this is their this is their vernacular that they're using in this in this particular coven. This is how we talk. And we know this is how we talk. And if the police were to hear us talk like this, time to sprint, they wouldn't know what we mean by time to sprint. But we know what it means by time to sprint. I love that about this movie. Yeah, I, I thought there was actually – and I didn't know if this is what you were touching on, Kelly Wan. The actual physical geography uh, I thought was really well established to get to this place. Uh, and I actually disagree. Like one, one of my misgivings about seeing it is I thought it was going to be about like a punk band. And I was like, oh, God, is this going to be like – is he making a movie about – is it going to be like Once or something but with a punk group? Uh, which I loved that I didn't – that I thought that, that it was going to be about punk music because uh, I kind of think it's not. Like I don't – I think the punk is a setting, and it's used as a way to get fundamentally likable, decent people mixed up with neo-Nazis. Like I think it's almost a right, vehicle yeah. more than anything else, and the movie doesn't dwell too much on the actual music. And, and you can kind of tell that with the way that Saulnier fades out the audio during one of their songs and yeah. just does this slow motion of slam dancing. Uh, but um, but there, there is a, a physical geography in the conventional sense, a progression of geography, where it opens with them in a cornfield. And then it establishes that the cornfield is on the coast. And then we see – or that the area that they're in is on the coast. And then we see Seattle. And then they leave Seattle, and they they're they're camping out by a refinery. You know, it's going through the city area. And then there's this overhead shot of the greenery closing in super tight around them. You know, they're going out in the wilderness. And then there's a shot of them going by this locked gate. They're in the wilderness where people lock gates, which is later you find out it's the orchard. It's like where Darcy lives. And then they go to the punk show. But there's Saulnier just does this shorthand quick cut like like quick visual indications of, of literal geographical progression which i really liked uh to get you to this one tight condensed location that as kelly Wan said i thought was pretty well laid out with the heroin lab underneath there's the green room the big hall is right down the way and then outside there's a couple of doors there's the trailer that they keep walking across to back and forth to um so even geographically in the literal sense of the word i, I thought he progressed it uh, very nicely, um, and that opening that, that opening shot that you're talking about, Tom, with the cornfield looks like an exit. It looks like this weird exit that they just 
dead ended. Well, on. it's people driving somewhere they're not supposed to. It's exactly. kind of a metaphor for the movie. Yeah, but it yeah. looks like an exit. It, the way it literally looks like an exit that they couldn't go anywhere. Right. And the and the, the the guys who did the music for this, did, they also did some of the music for Blue Ruin. They're named Brooke Blair and Will Blair. Um, and I love the way that music starts at the beginning and exactly in that moment where the band starts to play after the um, uh, after their opening like uh, griefing song that they play by Dead Kennedys. Um, that they that they play this other song and then it goes into this thing that is a composition by the the by Brooke Blair and Will Blair. I love that because it reminds me of that moment in Victoria that I love so much in the club, the second movement in the club where where it, there's all that frenzy going on and it goes into this uh, other other music that we're supposed to hear that maybe it's going on in their heads but isn't actually playing in the club. I love that so much. And even in that music scene, there, like I didn't notice the first time you have no indication that you should know what this is or pay attention to it. But that's where you see Emily uh, Daniel slip the note to Emily. Uh, you know, you, you see there's something going on, and the the implication is that Anton Yeltsin is noticing it, which gives Saulnier a reason for us as the audience for him to show this stuff. But you actually see Daniel surreptitiously handing Emily that folded up napkin that later we see has Fleischwolf written on it. Right, um, right. So all that he he just so carefully sets stuff up. Uh, I think that on a second viewing is really rewarding to see. Um, he shows you in film language why all this is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why and how? Especially, it did kind of remind me of Victoria too. Actually, I like that Dingus mentioned that because it just felt really naturalistic and almost almost real time. I mean, not yeah. obviously not not literally, but yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 Solnier has described it as he wanted to make a, a punk war horror movie because he wanted it to be about non-soldiers fighting soldiers, and he thought you know the whole the idea of a band dealing with hardcore neo-Nazis that was a sort of a setting for being able to do this. Uh, so I do like it. It is kind of like a war horror movie in that they're they're not soldiers and they're dealing with people who are soldiers and who are ruthless and efficient and organized. Um, you know, and there's great dialogue. Like Dingus mentioned the script, the line where someone says they run a tight ship, except it's a U-boat. I mean, there's great little observations like See, that throughout. <clears throat> that's exactly – that's something that Chris uh, Chris Parkinson said as well. He loves that line as well. Anyway, Kelly, you said what? Just um, something I was hoping that they would – that he would get more into is like the fact that their musician background somehow playing a role in their their fighting style. Like, uh, okay, you, you they, they're used to instruments and strings and the band, but it doesn't. I mean, they're just kids. They're they're out of their they're totally out of their depth. Do, do you mean their right. fighting style or the neo Nazis? Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. The kids and they use microphone feedback. But... See, they don't. They don't use it. It's an accident. <laughs> That's the oh, thing. Yeah. Well, he uses it the second time around. Right, right. They do set it up right, but when when the Once microphone falls it. down to to scare the first dog, dog off, it's just because Imogene Poots has knocked the stand over. Right. Yeah. No, I know. It's like when you go if you try and short. Like high concept, describe the movie. Go okay, it's punk rockers versus neo Nazis, like you said. So it's like we know how the neo Nazis fight the way we expect them to. Like okay, heroin rifles, understandable. Dogs, got it. And it's like the musicians <laughs> don't have like El Mariachi kind of. And that's kind of why I think I, I mean I think that's in, that's important that it doesn't do that. That and that they it's are, not that kind of Right. It's not the kind of movie that they are normal people. The idea is that they're right. out of their element, and he's not – like Joe Cole being a right. former wrestler 
is an important detail, but yes. it has nothing to do with the fact that he's the band's drummer. Um, right. So, so they're not, and, and that's why I also say it's not really about punk music. They just happen to be a punk band. Right, right. And you very briefly get uh, a little look into like what kind of group they are, like you know, shunning social media and not really being successful. Uh, but they well, get shunning, along with each other. Shunning, yeah, they're so, not shunning social, shunning social media. It's hard to say that is also part of the plot. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, yeah, they have the cell phone, which if they really shunned social media, they wouldn't have gotten into this deal. Like if she hadn't had a cell phone, <laughs> you know, they would have just gone home. Yeah. And um, that, that, by the way, when I was talking about David, David W. Thompson. Oh, that's Tadpole. Um, it's got to be Tadpole. That's, that's Tad, yeah. Right. That, what do you know the guy from? The uh, he's also in Blue Ruin. He's the guy uh, with, at the end with the shotgun. He's the guy. He's the kid in the. Oh my god! That's why I reckon. Ah, oh, dang it! Of course, because when I when I rewatched Blue Ruin for the the gun acquisition, I briefly thought, um, uh, oh shoot, who's the Darth Vader guy in uh, Force Awakens uh, from Girls? Adam Driver. Yeah, I briefly thought, oh, is that an Adam Driver? And then I looked at it. I was like, no, of course, it's not a young Adam Driver. But I was sure I recognized him. And it's because that's him. Very good, Dingus. Wow. Yeah, that's him. Uh, and I love that guy. I love how what he brings to that whole scene with the, with not not only with the interview and even before that, he sets the table so well. He's just such a nice guy. He's like, okay, you can have my place, and and here and he he does he tries so hard for them. You know, they get they're they're getting. Six dollars and eighty-seven cents. He goes well. Six, six eighty-eight if you round it up. Um, and just everything he does, and then even seeing him vacuuming there at the end. Um, I love the way he plays the part. I love that guy so much, and I, I loved him in Blue Ruin. He's just, he's just got such a great demeanor. I hope that guy gets more work because, man, I really love that guy. When uh, Joe Cole is, I think, looking over – I forget if it's Joe Cole or the guy who plays Tiger uh, – is looking over the record collection and says, this guy's legit. Uh, Saulnier puts a, a shot of them looking at his cat pictures. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds almost like he's saying this guy's legit because he has cat pictures up, but then they put the album on. Uh, yeah. So, I yeah Tiger's Callum Turner. But uh, but it is it, – it is, it, it, I thought that same thing when I was watching it again. It's like, why are we looking at cat pictures? Yeah. That's so weird. And there are just great, like, before, when uh, Aaliyah Shawcat says these all have mushrooms. Like, why do you put, I mean, that's just, I love little tiny throwaway <laughs> bits like that, where you see, like, she doesn't like mushrooms. Like, why did he want to tell us that? And I love that he did. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's letting characters breathe before you choke them, basically, before you throw them in Ooh. this terrible, compressing condition. Like, here are these awesome people you get to know, and you can relate to them, and now I'm going to do terribly brutal things to them. Uh, it's it's just a very effective formula for for a horror movie. Damn, um, that's a great way to put it. Letting characters breathe before you choke them. Chris, I mean, I, I'm Chris. Chris Markinson says something similar to this. He says, "At times, this movie feels like a pixie song. Quiet, quiet, quiet. Then, bam, the intensity ah. goes right up to ten. The whole scene where uh, Yelchin gets his arm, dinner cut off, and Poots basically disembowels the dude. Um, so it's like he he equates it to a pixie song." That that is awesome, Chris Markinson, and that yeah, that's that's my desert bit, uh, by the way. Just, <laughs> oh, the pixies. Um, I, so I, let's talk about Imogene Poots' character. Um, so another reason, Kelly Wan, that I, I think this, this really bears, uh, maybe if not repeated viewings, but at least really close listening, uh, her character is super fascinating, and you actually find out a couple of important things about her that I think are easy to miss. Um, 
Kelly Wan, did you hear her explain herself when Anton Yelchin says, how'd you get mixed up in all this shit? Like, why, <laughs> or why do you believe all this shit? Do you remember no. that exchange? I might not have seen it. She has this great part. bit where uh, it's it's in the I background. Lo- I love that exchange. Yeah. What's going on in the foreground during that thing? It's like, why is that muffled? Is it during? It, at any rate, it's while it's not like it's they're not on camera saying it to each other. There's something else. I mean, they may be in the background, but there's something else going on in the foreground. Um, so it's easy to miss. But but he says to her, you know, how'd you get mixed up in this? And she has this. This line that's just so – oh, how'd you fall for this shit? So I wrote it down. And she says, let me just say that people who hurt me weren't white. And huh. and then Anton Yeltsin says to her, well, were any of them women? Yeah. <laughs> like, And that's this great exchange. But it explains very briefly, very concisely, in literally a single line – it explains why she's the violent one, you right. know, why she's the one advocating for just shooting Big Justin, uh, why she, uh, why, why she, she's competent at it, and why she cuts him open, and she's so yeah, she's so willing to reach for the box cutters, uh, why she shoots Kai Lennox at the end, the, the guy named Clark, uh, when Anton Yeltsin isn't sure why he's gone to the orchard, he just feels the need to, you know, and he says, oh, is, is this what we're doing? And she's like, yeah, of course, it's what we've come here for, but it's just this one little. One line explanation about why this otherwise goth chick with bad haircut, you know, why she is as as distinctly violent as she is. Um, I just thought because she's a goth. So why is she a goth though? Yeah, and why does she fit in with this group of neo Nazis so well? Well, that's why. Is uh, mm. I think it's sorry. That's okay. It's, it's just another one of our, you know, another thing that our listener Chris said, and this is something that I felt too. That image of her in total darkness, except for her, sh- uh, you know, starting up the lighter, and then saying, "Okay, uh, this is what we have to do now." Um, and I think that that's what leads into what Tom. I think that's what leads into that conversation, but I'm not sure. Oh no, I think you're right because it's totally dark, and then he kind of cheats and shows us a little light uh, while we're watching Big Justin well, smoke. I think, yeah, 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 yeah right. Uh, yeah, it's uh, if you don't like what the cherry does, shoot it, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <a> <laughs> yeah, you don't like what the cherry does, shoot it. Yeah, it's great. Um, all right. So, how did you guys? Uh, it, what did you guys think of the 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 way he decided to end the story? Um, it felt kind of Iraqi. Iraqi? What? What? <laughs> Iraqi? Wait, how do you say what? that guy's name? Oh, Eric correct, Erica? Oh, no, you're right, Iraqi. Eric- Wait, ew, I thought gross. you meant the, the country. Yeah. It felt like a Greg Araki ending. Ew, gross. Like, I don't... No? Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I have no context for that, so can you explain it? There's, like, a movie he made with Rose McGowan uh, called... I can't remember the name of it. Hom- Homeless? Anyway... So it's just like uh, they go on like a, a spree and then at the end – like a murder spree and then at the end it's just her and like uh, the third wheel character and then she just looks over him and goes, I'm all out of Doritos. Uh, Dingus, he is a – I think he's an open, openly gay sort of in-your-face uh, sort of – pushing the buttons. Provocateur filmmaker. Okay. Um, uh, and I'm trying to think like what's that thing about the two guys with AIDS that go on the killing spree? Is that the one you're thinking of, Kelly Wand? Is Rose McGowan in it? It was one of his very early. It might have even been his first movie, so I don't. I don't remember specifically. Wasted. Is that the one you're talking? I, mean, about? I want to say something like Zero Hour. I don't know. 
I mean, but I, I, yeah, I know who he is, but uh, it, it, it just nowhere. So, that's the one I'm thinking. Uh, of. That uh, might be the one I'm thinking. Uh, all right. Well, at any rate, um, but so he does very, very sort of shockingly violent movies. Uh, I think that's part of about what nihilistic does. people. Very nihilistic is a better way to put it. Yeah, very nihilistic uh, movies. Um, uh, would, Diggis, how did you feel about that? so specifically? I just want to, you know, the the way it ends. Okay, whatever, that's fine. But the 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 dog, like like sh- like making us kind of sympathize with this dog who has killed Aaliyah Shawkat and, and Tiger. Like what? That is such a weird beat to me. I, I love, like I love that beat. I love okay. it so much. Yeah. Well, why? Like why? Because I like I'm like why do you want to make me suddenly feel bad for this 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 beast and and the the relationship it has with this this neo-nazi uh, he, he had no choice in where he is the dog because the, the dog's a professional uh, that's that's how he's described um the, the, these dogs are professionals uh, and i think that um the neo-nazis who are a part of uh darcy's uh pack are people that he's trained to do the same things that the dogs are doing. He's fed them and he's trained them and he's beat them in order to beat them into submission into what they would do. Um, but the dog has an excuse. He's an animal and he's just smelling his way back to his master, to, to his pack leader. And, uh, he's, by the way, he's been drugged so that he can get to this point just to, just, this will keep him alive another hour. Uh, I would consider it a personal favor if he dies with meat in his mouth, all that crap. But uh, regardless of how terrible the pack leader is, the dog is just going to go back to him because that's that's his master. I mean, the dog doesn't know any better. And so I think it's sort of a little bit of a metaphor for all of these these kids that uh, Darcy has surrounded him with that are – coming back to him and coming back to him. That's why so many of them are such young, impressionable children. You don't see a lot of older people there. Um, and that's why probably the oldest person that we see there, um, Gabe, is like, yeah, just send me to jail. Let me get, get me <laughs> out of here. I don't want to go back to that crazy person, even though he gave me red laces. Uh, so I think that I, I, I actually love that. But I'm also, you know, I'm a dog owner, so I understand how dogs work in a way. Uh, so that dog, like, finally getting in, when the, when that dog runs off, it kind of feels like, is this going to be Chekhov's dog, that he's going to, like, jump out at our protagonists and and uh, savage them at the last moment? But I love the way that works out at the end, where he, he just sort of trots through. Both of them cock their guns. They're out of ammo, and they click, click, click. And the dog just doesn't even regard them. He's not being given the FOSS command. He just goes to his master, lies down next to him, because he's about to die. I mean, yeah, I, like I everything else, he sets it up. Thing. I mean, yeah, he sets yeah. it up with, you know, why, why the dog isn't, like, like, it gets run off by the microphone feedback, and there are a few inserted shots of the dog just just sort of trotting down the road with its leash trailing behind it. Uh, yeah, it's, it hates it's, music. It hates feedback. It's okay with the music, probably, I'm assuming. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like a dog whistle for him. Uh, so it has to hear it all the time. But, but another dog just gets tied up there, and they don't, like, just shoot the dog. They just leave the dog there and, and lead the guys into the past the gate of beware of dog, which, I, I mean, it's weird. I can never look at that sign again now when I'm on a dog walk with my dog, seeing beware of dog and hearing um, Patrick Stewart say even better. 
Right. They don't. They don't. Don't. Don't they hang that up specifically afterwards? Like, isn't the first shot of the gate without the beware of dog? And later we see them put it up so they can set up. Oh, is it? Because yeah, yeah, I think it's part of this. They're no trespassing, and then the guy says, "No, there's beware of dog," and he says, "Even better." Oh, okay. Right. Right. That's right. Then maybe it isn't the gate that they drive past. At any rate, they drive past a locked gate, and I was assuming that's the oh. gate we'll come to at the end. Oh, okay. uh, I think you're wrong about that. All right. Um, uh, does either of you guys – so if you jerks would ever see a, a really good Kelly Reichardt movie named Night Moves, you would see Elias Shawcat and a guy named Kai Lennox, who I really like, who plays Clark, the, the dog owner, uh, in very different kinds of roles, but in the same part of the country. Like It's weird to me that this is a – a Pacific Northwest setting. Like I think of neo-Nazis as being down in the South. I'm sure they're up there like in any rural area. Uh, but it's so weird that, you know, this is where Kelly Reichardt makes her movies about these like crunchy granola types like Kai Lennox and Elias Shawkat <laughs> in, in Night Moves. <laughs> uh, but no, hmm. you guys can't be bothered to see Night Moves. Whatever. Is that before Meek's Cutoff? Uh, no, it's the last one she did. It's uh, it's after Meek's cut. Oh, that's why I didn't see it. Well, you also it's uh, Jesse Eisenberg, so you won't. It'll be ruined for you now because you'll imagining him doing his his Lex Luthor. Uh, so. so where are we on over unders here? Uh, we are uh, Dingus. You go first. All right. I had a really hard time with this, so I did something weird. <laughs> um, uh, for my under, I went with a movie called The Killing Room because um, it's it's kind of an easy thing, not just because it has the word room in it, um, but also it's it's this, like, who's going to be most competent? Who's going to pair up? Who's going to be able to get out? And who's going to use the, um, the materials at hand in order to be able to get out? Also, it has somebody, uh, an actress, I really, really like, named Cleo Duvall in it. Uh, so Killing Room... Um, well, I, I liked it plenty. Um, I, I didn't like it as much as I like this. And actually, this isn't very clo- closely bracketed because I really, really love Green Room. It's one of my favorite movies this year so far. Um, and for Over, this is not going to make any sense other than to say it's about a band that I'm wondering how they would react if they were stuck in this movie somehow in a weird way. And this is the movie Control. Um, it's your Over? Yeah, I would put. I love the movie Control. I guess I'm finally gonna have to see that. I keep confusing it with that Al Jazeera documentary. No, it's not that. It's, it's, it's about Joy uh, Division. It's about Joy Division. Oh, that means um, nothing to me. I have no frame of reference for that. I know. I uh, I absolutely understand that, and the movie doesn't is not going to work for most people. Um, but I I've seen it a couple of times, and I just really love the rhythm of the movie. And I have to wonder what would happen if Joy Division were the ones stuck in this room instead of a punk band in this same setting, in this same situation, and what would transpire. Um, but also, I think uh, I think it's Samantha Morton who's in it, and I really love her. And I kind of put her in the same mental space as I would put uh, Imogen Poots uh, in this particular movie. Not so much with 28 Weeks Later, which I also watched this week just to see, because I couldn't remember, and that's 10 years past. I was like, what do I know Imogen Poots from? And I just wanted to see a, a scene from 28 Weeks Later, and then I ended up watching the whole dang thing. Um, but for some reason, Imogen Poots in this and Samantha Morton, they, they, they crowd into my same mental space. Dingus, you, you might also recognize Imogen Poots as uh, Aaron Paul's sidekick in Need for Speed. Yeah, I, <laughs> I saw that in her breakdown, yeah. and I know you've, you've championed that movie over and yeah. over again, Tom. Yeah. But 
but I have Loves not it. seen Need for Speed. Great, great Imogen Poots performance. Anybody who can act opposite Aaron Paul, you know that they've got some heavy lifting to do. Uh, <laughs> just say. Uh, my okay, then I feel I feel less bad about my over and under. My under is another movie that makes you care about characters and then does terrible things to them, which is nowhere near as good as Green Room, but it's the same pattern and it's still a very good movie. Uh, is an Australian horror movie by I think his name is David McLean uh, called Wolf Creek. Um, <laughs> where why are you giggling, Kelly? Wait, Warren? that's your under. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I love that movie so much. Kelly, why are you giggling? Have you even seen Wolf Creek? No. Isn't that like oh. a, a snuff movie, though? What? what? I mean, a fake snuff movie. <laughs> which was really just a horror movie. Yeah, it? what? I can't imagine you falling for someone dismissing something as a snuff movie. What? Yeah, I remember the, the critic word... said, Wolf Creek's too brutal. Or something. Doesn't that make you want to see it, though? Yeah. To see what does. you're talking about? It's not too brutal. But they compared it to Saw. And it was like, no, no that's, that would be torture porn. You can call it torture porn if you want, but it's not. That's what they said it was. I get yeah. those mixed up. And I could see yeah. people dismissing that because it makes you care very much about characters, and then it does terrible things to them. Yeah. Right. So, and that's that's the that's the pattern for, for Green Room. Um, but uh, Hostel didn't make us care about those characters. I know, and that's that's the difference between Eli Roth Eli and Jeremy Solnit. Eli Roth couldn't make you care about a character to save his freaking life. He made you care about Welcome to the Dollhouse and the second one, though. No, I cared about the actress already, and why was she in his stupid Hostel sequel getting drained of blood and strung up upside down naked? Poor – what is her name? Heather Matarazza? See, you oh, care. Matarazza. I care. Yeah, right. like, yeah because why, should, why is she it, – it's just another reason for me to hate Eli Roth. Oh, so my God. So you wanted him to get a straight – you wanted him to get somebody you hadn't seen before for that scene? I wanted – I think Heather Matarazza deserves better, that poor little girl from yeah. – I mean, it, she's not even playing Don Wiener anymore. Now, now Greta Gerwig has grown up to play her character. Man, I love that you brought up Wolf Creek because that's 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 really a good uh, a good choice for this because of uh, because of how long they spend getting. I mean, that movie. When you talked about earlier, Tom, about how hard this movie was to watch, um, Wolf Creek is far harder for me to watch. It's I don't know why it it. It, it makes my skin crawl even thinking about watching it again. I, maybe it's just it's it sings a character chained up and put on a hook. Um, and oh, spoiler! <laughs> it's also Wolf Creek is a, is a lot more uh, dismissive about its violence. It it lapses into slasher movie tropes a lot more yeah, easily. Yeah. Uh, Green Room stays plausible entirely throughout. Uh, you know, right. Wolf Creek is just way ickier, I would say. Um, yeah, I've seen the hook though. That's not impressive to me. Uh, you, you should watch Wolf Creek, I think. Uh, it also has a terrible sequel. Uh, and the funny thing about Wolf Creek is who they have playing the slasher. I mean, I think, uh, that's its, that's its main twist, kind of. That, that's its angle. Get it? Obviously. Get it? No. Both of those? No. Stabbing? <laughs> twist? Stab? A Get stab it? doesn't imply you twist the knife. That's even worse. Hey, stabbing what? somebody is bad, but then twisting the knife, that's even worse than stabbing them. If you just simply stab someone, not a big deal. If you twist the knife, that implies you have stabbed them and then turned the knife. You're That's totally really separate. twisting the knife when you do that. <laughs> I know. My over, and here's where, Dingus, if you're going to use control, I feel okay with this. My over is the 1980 movie Road Warrior, the sequel oh. to Mad Mac. Wait, uh, what? what? Wait, you feel less bad now? I thought for I sure thought you were going to say – were so bad. <laughs> I, have a I thought reason. you were going to save that thing you do since I chose a, a movie with a band. No, I've never seen that. That's the Tom Hanks thing about the Beatles or something, right? Liv Tyler's in it, right? 
Yeah. I've never seen it. All of those things are true. Yeah. Beatles biopics aren't my bag. No. Uh, no. Road Warrior, I like better simply because I grew up on that. It uh, was hugely influential on, on me as a child. And it is the probably only other movie – I can think of one other now that I bring it up. One of the only movies – okay, I'll put it this way. It's the only other movie I can think of where somebody has a spiky mohawk, and I don't think it's ridiculous. <laughs> Wait, which movie? Road Warrior? Both Road Warrior and Green Room. The spiky yeah. mohawks, I think, are appropriate. They are not ridiculous. I don't think they're stupid. Um, what about Rocky Three? Who has a spiky mohawk in that? Mr. T. I rest my case. That's not spiky. Yeah, it's not spiky. Well, that's, that's why I didn't say mohawk, because I just also watched Taxi Driver and remember Travis Bickle's regular mohawk. If he had put that, by the way, in spikes, Taxi Driver would have had a, lost a lot of its impact. I Mr. Imagine- T's just playing the hand he's dealt. Got the jibba-jabba. <laughs> Okay, what, well, Tom? speaking of the hands that were dealt, Kelly Wand, why don't you give us your over and under for Green Room? I went with movies about bands that are in sieges, so my over is Assault on Precinct 13. Not a band. Okay, go on. It's a band of heroes. Very good. <laughs> oh, it's Kelly Wand. No, very good. Okay, fair enough. And then my under is Return of the Living Dead. The one Wait, your over is Assault on Precinct 13 and your under is Return of the Living Dead? You've got to have those backwards. You like Return of the Living Dead that much? It's not that good. Dan O'Bannon direct – are you kidding me? Nah. Wait, not as, oh, not. my God. You are not on this podcast dismissing Return of the Living Dead. Kelly Wait, Wand, it's my under for Green Room. You're saying I should like Return of the Living Dead more than Green Room. That's what mm, I – that's what yes, really yes. Yes. Return but which of Assault Living... of the Living uh, – which Assault in Precinct 13? I doubt Kelly Wan's even seen the remake. Mm. The Ethan no, Hall. Maria Bello's in it. Oh, so you have seen it? Yeah. All right. That's the one I'm talking about because it's got a dog in it too. <laughs> but wait a minute. I, I didn't know this about you in Return of the Living Dead. I'm very unhappy with you, Kelly Wand. I can't believe you like it that much. Are you kidding me? I like that ending. It's got a really good ending. It's got a great ending. It's got a great sense of humor. It's got Leanna Quigley naked. Running around. It's got that, that Bert and Ernie joke. It's got the gag about the Army Corps of Engineers. It introduces the whole idea of brains, the Sinmore paramedics bit, the, the makeup effects in that. And come oh, on, it's Dan O'Bannon. He directed it. I know, how, I know. How can you disrespect the memory of Dan O'Bannon like that, Kelly Wand? I feel like he wasn't stoned enough. <sighs> There's a scene. Have you gotten to the part in Stranger Things where, where they, they <laughs> mention his name just for the hell of it? Dan O'Bannon? Yeah, there's this ridiculous throwaway bit where uh, the there's main a character char- named O'Bannon in it, though, isn't there? No, the, the main character has to come up with a fake name to try to trick someone. And he's like, oh, uh, O'Bannon told me to come out here. And it's obviously an, an, like another 80s nod. But no, yeah, there's only one O'Bannon. Re- there is. Yes, Kelly Wan. You, that's, the, that's the smartest thing you've said on this podcast so far. He's Uno O'Bannon. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, did you learn any dating advice from, wow. from Green Room? <laughs> No. One, two, three, not only you and me, get one lady just free, but I'm caught between counting one, honest. two, three, get No, fair enough. That's good. I appreciate you being forthright. Although still, we're going to have to we're gonna have to work out this whole Return of the Living Dead deal. When's the last time you saw it? You like the second one, too, Return of the Living Dead, no. too? No, 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 no. We're that's, not a, yeah, that's a fiasco. I saw it uh, ten years ago. All right, you need to work on that. I don't like how that one zombie's bald. Uh, Come on, the dog's cut in half coming a lot. I'm just so disappointed. Okay, here's the deal. 
Kelly Wan, you name any movie. I'm going to watch it in this next week. And in this next week – oh, no, you're going to be on vacation. Oh, no, you can this. In this next week, if you watch Return of the Living Dead, I will watch any movie you tell me to watch. Zapped. Okay, it's on. That's a deal. All right, but you have to contribute to the uh, raffle. No, it's between me and Kelly Wan, Dingus. Oh, all right. You, uh, you probably either, Dingus. I would, I, you may not have the requisite, the required appreciation for Return of the Living Dead, but in your case, it's out of ignorance, so that's okay. Have you even uh, seen Return of the Living Dead, Dingus? You may not have. It's for Dingus. Yeah, it's the one with that guy who comes back from the dead. See Kelly Wand. See Woody Harrelson guys in it. But he saved his receipt. He he saved his receipt, so he can go back, and then he can come back to life. Return of the Living Dead. It's the name, right? You can. I I told my stepfather last night that if he could name his favorite scene from Prometheus in five (laughs) seconds, right, I'd watch it again. Well, well, you're setting yourself up to have to see Prometheus there. I know, but I was pretty sure he couldn't do it, but he went, uh, 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 and then my mom was counting one, two, three, four, and then he's all, the, 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 the the part where the alien, uh, throws the old man down. That's what he went with. And I'm like, that's favorite scene when the old, when Guy Pierce wearing old man makeup gets killed by a stupid alien, like stomping around like Frankenstein. Well, don't you now have to watch Prometheus this week? Yeah, I will. Now, I mean, that talking about the scene made me want to rewatch it. All Did you tell him to try harder? <laughs> Dingus, that part's true, and Batman's dead. God. Speaking of trying harder, Dingus, what are we doing this week? Ooh! <laughs> we are going. We are doing a three by three of your three favorite grab my hand uh, moments. These I'm are excited. not handshakes. Or as Kelly Wand asked last week, um, hand jobs. This is your three favorite grab my hand. Kelly, you're introducing next week's topic, so give us your third, your, your number three pick. Wait, does Luke and Vader count? Well, we're going to find out. Is that your number three pick? No, my number three pick. Okay, <laughs> the theme of my list. Uh oh. Kelly Wand sneaks in so many t- other uh, choices by saying, does this count? <laughs> what? All right, Tom, no, I'm putting that, you down. I'm putting you down, you know, number three. When I was seven, <laughs> here's this uh, Sawyer kills a, an evil puppet movie, an evil kid movie. <laughs> I get this mixed up. <laughs> uh, the theme of my list is um, things that made me uh, – <laughs> moments, <that laughs> moments that made me realize something about grab-my-hand moments. Where I went, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, my God. This comes up on the internet. So my number three, to give an example of what I'm referring to, is from the motion picture Jaws. Hey! Oh, you are such a dill hole. What? You're going to steal mine. You didn't use that one. You haven't even seen Jaws. There's two of them. Which one are you stealing? There's two of them? Yeah. Yeah, there's four of them, actually. Jaws 4. Anyway, uh, before the shenanigans began, they began. I uh, am picking this one because when uh, Brody reaches for Quint, I think it was just that was at the point of the shoot where they were fucking everyone on the set was pissed off because it's a very lame effort on Brody's part to get Quint's hand. And every time I see it, I always think. Brody's not really trying to get him because he kind of wants Quint to die because he hopes makes the shark full. 
I mean, I think it's just that was your uh, realization about the grab my hand moment. I see. Right. right. Well, no, no. The realization oh. was that it matters if you're going to shoot that scene. Is it at that shot? Is like, okay, make the hand grab the other hand, and you're shooting it. You want to make sure you get a really good take. Like, don't get the half-ass take of the hands not really interested. Because well, it, then I'll go, oh, Brody hates Quint for decades. I don't remember it being half-assed. I remember it more. I oh. mean, it, I think the problem is it's kind of contrived because the orca, the right. angle that the orca is tilted at, it really shouldn't be that hard. I mean, it, I think that's one of those classic instances where uh, Carl, yeah, Carl Gottlieb wrote the script. Like, he just wrote the script without much consideration for how feasible it was to shoot. Like, he wrote in there yeah. somewhere – because that doesn't happen, by the way, in uh, in the book. In the book, the shark just smashes the boat, and Quint, uh, in a direct nod to what happens to Ahab, Quint just gets tangled up in the ropes and dragged down with the shark's corpse. Like Ahab, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But so, so Carl Gottlieb, writing the script, was like, and then the shark leaps up on the boat, and the boat flips up, and, and, and then Quint slides into the shark's mouth, and the shark chews Quint alive. And I can imagine... You know, Spielberg and his production designers and everyone sitting around going, oh, my God, how are we going to do that? Uh, so the best they could come up with – and when you – I mean, it, it – it, I mean, does it look terrible to people these days? I don't know. No, but you need that shot. And, in fact, Roy Scheider did the movie because he was at a party and he overheard Spielberg and another guy going, yeah, and then we got to get the shark up on the boat where he slides down. And Roy Scheider's like, wait, what? A shark's going to be up on a boat? I'm in. I want to be in this movie. And that's what got him in, and I swear that's a true story. Wow, that's awesome. Well, good, good. So it's uh, funny you mentioned that. Well, go way to go it's Carl like, Gottlieb then because Carl Gottlieb got Roy Scheider into the movie. With but the- it also <laughs> confirms your theory because it means Spielberg was like, how the fuck are we going to shoot right, that Right, that's exactly right. Exactly, yeah. And then Roy Scheider's like, yeah, how are we going to shoot it? And Let's I hate to this. always beat this drum, but and we all know it. These days it would just be CG'd. But when you have to do that with practical effects and with their mechanical shark – and actually sliding Robert Shaw in there and then having the shark chomp on him. I mean the logistics of that. So the, the fact that it's a little implausible, like Quint – it's almost like like what it, that, that uh, Bride of Frankenstein bit where Boris Karloff has to throw himself into those rubber tentacles uh, at the end of that movie uh, for the, the rubber octopus that Ed Wood got. Uh, and it's in Ed Wood if you've seen Bride of Frankenstein – or not Bride of Frankenstein, Bride of the Monster. Is that what it's called? Which one? The one that Ed Wood is about, where Bar- Boris Karloff – and I actually only oh. know this movie from the Mystery Science Theater 3000. I think it's Bride of the Monster. It's the one where Boris Karloff ends up being attacked by a giant octopus that he is keeping in his lab. Oh, it's Bela Lugosi. Stop. Oh, my God. I'm, oh, I can't believe wow. I did that. I don't even like Boris Karloff. Right. I screwed up. he's Frankenstein. So I know. Right. And I screwed I up. I bore, oh, Bela Lugosi would be so unhappy with me too. Jesus. He's, he's, he's spinning in his grave. Huh. Yeah, but it's not a grave. It's just where he sleeps. <laughs> exactly. Uh, at any rate, it's that kind of thing. Like, like Quint has to slide himself directly in that. So they have to shoot around that and and cheat the fact of, you know, it's not that steep an angle. And really, he should just be able to just like lay flat and not slide down. And that's not how yeah. sharks eat people. I don't know. But anyway, that was one of my picks. You know what? I'm going to change my pick. Rumph, I'm going to the Jaws the Revenge part. Oh, actually, we'll get there when we get to my number two. Because that's but, a different number three pick. So you think Brody didn't phone it in on his hand grab on that shot where he's grabbing Quint, Quint's gloved hand? I think they just there were so many logistics to worry about to make look right, getting different shots. No, no. I'm talking about in the mythos of the franchise, right. the characters, not the actors. 
Hello. So in the mythos of the franchise, did Brody want Quint to die because yeah. Hooper's sleeping with Mrs. Brody. No, I was going to say, yeah, Quint was not sleeping with Ellen Brody in the right. mythos of the franchise. He wanted Hooper to die. Right. Yeah. And By the way, the, Tane, that's that's the one one of the things that keeps Jaws from being a perfect movie. Hooper should have died. That's just that, a pop out. That's that's the first sign that Spielberg was going going all soft on us. Well, it's from the book though. No, it's not. He dies in the book. Are you serious? Oh no, no. Um, no, I'm sorry. I was that was about something else. Oh, the, the sleep- reason. No, the reason Hooper lives in the movie is because they had that awesome shark cage footage, but Hooper's not in the cage for it, and he was supposed to die in that. But since they they had a real a real shark attacking the shark cage that looked right. really awesome and they wanted to use it in the movie, but it, you can clearly see Hooper's not in the cage. They just like rewrote it a Gross. little. Yeah, it's terrible. Because even the, so in the even book, dumber. this frozen this frozen image in my my uh, what would I have been nine year old head in the book. Uh, the shark, after uh, pulling Hooper out of the cage, like leaps out of the water with Hooper in its mouth. Like that's something that Peter Benchley had the shark do after it killed Hooper. And, yeah. and Brody sees like the shark with Hooper in, in his mouth. But it's a PG movie, bro. You can't get it all. <laughs> I guess so. But also in the book, the last page of it, it ends with Brody shutting his eyes and screaming with terror because he knows the shark's about to eat him. And then he opens his eyes and then the shark's dead and it's sinking. And then that's like the last page of the Jaws. Yeah, like it doesn't blow up either, does it? It just no, it doesn't blow up. Quint just shoots it. It's wounded from all the right. It runs out of steam. Yeah, yeah. It's not a superpower, (laughs) right? So that's how stupid that book is, probably. Although it gets kind of good. Thing is, are there any three by three cop goings on yet? Are we okay for Jaws? For uh, Kelly Wan's pick. I don't even know what the pick was. You guys have talked about 17 other movies. So <laughs> it's when know. Quint is sliding Jaws? down the, the orca, and then Brody and Quint grab hands, and Quint slips out of his grasp and into the shark's mouth. Of course, that's awesome. Okay. But does um, he have to say, grab my hand? No, I, I made it clear that he doesn't have to say All those right. words. Um, well, what's, what's, what I love about this uh, topic right now because Tom just said something, uh, well, just, you know, when Kelly first introduced it, Tom was talking about the difference between how it was filmed then and how it would be filmed now as far as CG versus practical effects. Um, because my kid uh, is very much into the Jurassic Park movies, and he wants to watch them over and over again because he loves dinosaurs so much. And it's really weird having to uh, try to break down with him the difference between practical effects and CG effects in those movies, because we had to watch Lost World Jurassic Park again, because uh, he was sick a couple weeks ago. And just having to describe the difference, well, is this a practical effect, and what does that mean? And what is a, C- a CG effect, and what does that mean? Uh, so it was just, uh, I got distracted by Tom saying that. Dingus, you know, a great way to teach him that is to let me and him watch Jaws. Yeah, I'm about to do that. Okay. Especially since uh, he'll be coming back from Cape Cod. I know. I told him when he was going to Cape Cod. I was like, you know what happened on Cape Cod? Jaws. Uh, My number three pick for uh, grabbing someone's hand is actually not – oh, no, it does happen. But it's the character not wanting her hand grabbed, and it's the bit in Force Awakens where Rey is all, uh, stop grabbing my hand when they're uh, running around on Jakku. What do you – no, that has nothing to. Uh, wait, has nothing to about? do with this. I You're thought you would like that it. one. No, that has that has nothing to do with the topic. 
She doesn't want him to grab his hand. She's like, "Quit grabbing my hand." Did you not? That, that has nothing to do with the topic. It does too. He's grabbing her. Uh-huh. Hand. Tom's pulled over. That has absolutely. That has that, that actually over, opposite bitch. of the topic. So you into the cell. Oh, it's it's like, the okay, thing is, Finn. That is, Finn that is the opposite Finn, of the topic. No, no. Finn is grabbing her hand. He is grabbing her hand. Yeah, he does it's it. Called grab my hand. Right. <laughs> she doesn't want him to. Uh-huh. Does it though? He does it anyway. Yeah. Congratulations! You've now raped the topic. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Wow! Ask him to grab your hand. It's not that, that. got dire. It's, it's called <laughs> grab my hand. It's not called don't grab my hand. Good lord, Tom! Uh. It's wrong. Even besides that, man, raped. Ah. All right. What happens? With what's your third favorite here. hand grabbing? <laughs> so stupid. That's the dumbest thing you've ever said. I can't, no, it's not. Tom, all right. Yes, I don't even know what you uh, were thinking. You don't know what I'm thinking? Just just they, all, they, they all that goofy. There's that great bit where uh, where they're they're running around on Jakku, and it's when the – I don't know, there's stormtroopers. The, the, the guys <laughs> are, are chasing them down, and, and it does this great reversal on the trope of the hero grabbing the woman by the hand as they run along. And when no, you I, I love that hand, moment. I think it's an awesome moment. I agree. So I love that it does a reversal on the traditional grab my hand stuff where the hero drags the heroine along. So that's why I pick it because it's a great acknowledgement of grabbing my hand often being a way to just have a damsel in distress. Well, maybe I'm dumb because I thought they were all precarious grab my hand to survive moments. Well, that's, I mean, grab no, my not dumb. That's what the topic was. It was about Okay, but you guys know that trope where the 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 hero is dragging that. Like I just watched Perils of Gwendolyn recently, and, and that dude is constantly like grabbing her hand, pulling her along uh, when when they've got to get away from something. That's just that's wait. Just, I want to be Thomas Public Defender and say that when she's when he's trying to grab her hand, he is trying to keep her from falling over. Like that's the theory is like women don't know how to walk as well, they so they have to grab they can't, hands. Right, they can't get away on their own from the Which back. will really make it harder for them to run because then they have to keep pace with you. Which is <laughs> stupider, really, if you think about it. They'd be safe. Like, don't grab my hand, run. I won't slow you down. But it's also just a, trips. It's a great characterization for Ray. Like, I, I love what well, yeah, yeah. did with I, I, t- I agree with everything you're saying. I just think it has nothing to do with this topic. But okay. It is. I totally agree. You don't think it has anything to do with someone saying, grab my hand. Right, because she's not saying that. (laughs) She's saying the opposite. So it's the opposite of the topic. All right. I'm gonna, in that case, I'm going to pick two of people letting go of each. Actually, all go ahead. You could pick whatever you want. I'm going to go with feet. Not to letting go of hands. <laughs> you can, you can do the opposite of the topic if you want, but you're going to go to jail for it. Dingus, how do you feel about what Tom just did? I'll, I, you know what, you know, I'm, I'll go all pussy riot on this. He can uh. go wherever he wants. <laughs> I can choose not to follow the law in my car, and the opposite of the law will put me in jail. All so right, Putin Tom is in jail. All right, Putin. That's the lecture the cops. No, that's not Putin. That's called being in the law. You're Putin, and I'm Pussy Riot. There you go. No, you're just a jerk, and you're in jail. Oh, I'm a jerk too. I've raped the topic, and I'm a jerk, and I'm in jail. Man, these people are harsh in this three by. That's the judge saying. Yeah, because you did. That's not the topic. (laughs) 
Uh, well, I thought it was a great instance of somebody of a director playing with the grab my hand trope. I'm sorry you don't like it, but I thought it, I loved it. Has nothing to do with I, immediately like it. I, it's actually I love the moment. Is, I think the moment is awesome. Right, it's not just, only is it immediately what I thought of, but I was worried you were going to pick it. So I'm glad you didn't pick <laughs> it. I didn't pick it because it's not in the topic. It's not the topic. It's my number two, by the way, I should yeah. say. Congratulations. Uh, mine is from Iron Man 3. It's when... She's about to fall into the flames, and oh, and he lets go of her, so it's not a grab my hand moment. The great thing is that um, he he tells her, "Look, I promise you, I will I will get, grab your hand. Your honey, you, I can reach you. You can't stay there all night. You gotta let go, and I'll catch you." And it's this whole great hero inversion where he reaches out to her. And he says, "I promise, I'll grab your hand," and she falls into the flames, and and he misses her. So Iron Man 3 is my my number three. Can't wait for my number two. Kelly, what's your number two? I just oh, want wait, to say, you, uh, yeah. <laughs> also in Tom's defense, that Dingus did give some kind of sketchy answers for my 3x3 three three topic, Three Best Oceans. So, <laughs> so you're your like, his hands are clean. But you right. can't, Kelly. He just didn't do that. So go ahead. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Kelly, one second favorite grab my hand where somebody actually grabs hands and doesn't want their hand not grabbed. They have to want All right. This is my least favorite one, but it, that's why it's on my list. Like, it's just like, it's a memorable, like, what? Because it's the perfect example of a movie trope that I think is really stupid, but it's from the motion picture Beverly Hills Cop 3, which is where um, Eddie Murphy goes to Disneyland, which is owned by evil, like, gangsters. And so he starts a gunfight in the middle of Disneyland. Wait a minute. Runs. Is it actual Disneyland, or do they have to fake some non-Disneyland? It's called Wonder World. Okay, that's what I thought. All right. And they you should... can't actually have Disneyland, by the way, because I was thinking, no, no, I... like, because I also recently watched Escape from L.A., and that's supposed to, it's clearly supposed to be Disneyland at the end, but they couldn't actually do Disneyland. Right, but they, but if there's, if they have to show rides, they always shoot it at Magic Mountain because Magic Mountain doesn't give a shit. Oh, and they'll sub in. Hey, Magic hey, Mountain works so, Disneyland, right? Magic Mountain so doesn't give a shit that they like the Revolution is the roller coaster with a bomb on it at the end of roller coaster. I was gonna say, isn't that? Did yeah. they even let roller coaster be shot there? Yeah, they did. They did that, but it's like it's the actual roller coaster and the name of it and the premiere of it, and they're like, yeah. Third act, put a bomb on it. We don't care. Yeah, and no one, the audience did like there was no outcry. Like, all right, cool. And then people just went on the roller coaster. Like, well, I no bet at that time it sort of thought of it as a little publicity, like a little product placement. For yeah, because that it was yeah it was sort of a bomb free era. Also, haha, you saw roller coaster. Oh, I love it. It sucks, but it's I love great. It. It's a great George Siegel performance. It seemed really violent when I was a kid, but in hindsight, you don't see anything. Right. But he has to chase him to the roller coaster. The roller coaster hits him. Poetic justice. Yep, that's how he dies. Yeah. Anyway, in Beverly Hills Cop three, so Eddie Murphy starts a firefight. It's his fault. And then he, the gangsters chase him onto a ride. It's like a Ferris wheel, but it's got like cages in it. And so he runs up onto it. He rides the ride to get away from them, which seems kind of dumb. Actually. <laughs> And so to trick him and upset him, they break the ride. So like, oh, we'll kill Eddie Murphy. But there's other, there's a bunch of kids on the ride and other people on it, which the gangsters forgot to account for. So then Eddie Murphy, because he's the hero, gets out of his cage and like shimmies his way along the poles while like synthesizer music plays, like heroic music, Beverly Hills Cop music, and then like uses his belt and like to like get to the cage with two kids on it 
and he tells it's they're both Latino kids and he has the little girl hold onto his neck and then he has the kid grab his hand uh, that misses him, but the kid grabs it anyway. And then the cage falls and then they get into it. They have to like jump down while the cage is like falling down on top of them. So you have to like, they don't show the jump, but it's like a fall of like 40 feet and then he just gets up and then they run out of the way and then the cage falls. But the point is that was his fault. So his grab the hand, grab your hand moment. Like I'm supposed to be held in suspense because he's trying to save kids and grab hands. But it's like, if you initiate the event, that caused the hand grabbing. Wait, I thought the bad guys initiated it. They broke the ride. Uh, yeah, but thing is, arrest him. What's well, a hand grab? He goes grab my hand, and the kids. They no, have to do but what you realize is incorrect. <laughs> Dingus, am I pulled over for this one? No, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Beverly Hills Cop Three. All right. Cause major safety hazard. That's we already know mine is Jaws, but I'm going to change it to a different moment in Jaws. Hmm. Uh. Quint tells Hooper to tie a knot. So Hooper ties the knot, and he's like, okay, you didn't say how short you wanted it. And he ties it, and then he throws it to Quint uh, so that uh, Quint will uh, look at it. And Quint just throws it out of the way. He doesn't even look at the knot. The rope kind of gets stuck on his shoulder whatever. He knocks it out of the way. And he says, give me your hands. Uh, 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 Hooper puts his hands in Quint's hands, and, and Quint delivers this little speech about you've got soft hands. Uh and he's, he's like holding his hands really tight, and it's obviously hurting Hooper, and Hooper's like, let me go, let my hands go. Uh, oh, so that might disqualify this one. Uh, and it's where uh, – and I remember then Hooper says to Roy Scheider, am I going to have to put up with this work – with this blue-collar bullshit for this whole thing? And I remember as a kid having no idea what blue-collar meant. I was like, Wait, what is that? Why is he talking about his clothes? Like what is a collar? What does a blue-collar thing mean? But it's that bit where Quint is holding Hooper's hands too tight. Uh, to ridicule how soft they are. Hmm. All right. Am I being pulled over? You're already in jail, so it doesn't matter. That I mean, this wasn't about shaking hands. I was very clear what it was about. But if you want to talk it about uh, guys holding each other's hands, that's it's fine. grabbing. It's just literally gra- someone grabbing someone's hand. You don't like that one either. No, it's, it has nothing to do with the topic. But that's hey, Sherlock Holmes. It's a, you it's a cool one. moment. I won't deny that it's a cool moment as your first moment. You don't think it's, it's a, a moment, cool moment of someone grabbing someone's hand? It's not what the topic is, but I like I like both of those moments. I I love that moment in Jaws. <laughs> well, you don't think it's someone taking someone's hand then? I approve of who you were. <laughs> that's not what the topic was. But I, I thought the topic I, I was take my hand. <laughs> What was the topic then? You're going to have to remind grab me. Grab my hand. It was, was it grab my hand or take my hand? I don't know okay. if the verb is the issue here or the, the actual uh, – I guess if this – I mean I, I – Well, no. Tell me again what it was called. Just like when yeah, we say – I'm a little confused too, Dingus. Can you please tell us? It's not about handshakes. It's not about a manly handshake in the <laughs> It's about that moment where somebody says, grab my hand in but his life is in danger. It was very clear. I made it very clear. But I, I like both those moments that you've talked about, Tom. I just Honestly, smart. Oh, you couldn't have said it right. <laughs> well, Dingus, give me another example then. What's a number two? What's your second favorite instance of this topic? All right, so my favorite, and I'm not going to do a, a quote from it because it would be too easy to figure that out. And it's from uh, Lord of the Rings uh, Return of the King. And it's the, um, there were two moments from the Lord of the Rings trilogy that I would have chosen, but the last one is the one I'm going to choose. And it's this beautiful moment at the very end where. That's um, just a finger, though. Okay, go on. <laughs> 
No, I'm not talking about biting your finger. You can talk about biting fingers in your next topic, Kelly. Tom that? told me that would be a good number one, so I put it. <laughs> a hand is involved. Yeah. So, um, so Sam, and, uh, I'm sorry. So Frodo and Gollum have gone over the edge, uh, as they say. In uh, and <laughs> Sam thinks they might have both gone into the lava of Mount Doom, and Sam goes up to the edge to find that Frodo is still there. Gollum has gone into the lava, of course, spoiler alert, and the ring is is there on the lava, and Sam is trying to save Frodo. And what is so poignant about this moment is Sam um, telling Frodo, and this is sort of a mirror in a way, or, or maybe just an echo, to that moment at the end of Fellowship where Frodo grabs Sam's hand in the water. Um, but this is Sam trying to get Frodo to grab his hand. And he says, take my hand, grab my hand. Again, that didn't have to be a part of this, but this was part of saving Frodo's life. But what's happening now is the ring is dissolving, and Frodo realizes that. He realizes that this thing that is that is basically bonded with who he is and has become part of who he is is being destroyed right now, and part of who he is is being destroyed from him. He's losing part of who he is. And Sam realizes in this moment that, that Frodo, who's holding on with his one good hand, um, might just let go. And one of the things that Sam says is, don't let go. Take my hand. And that is why that moment is so poignant for me. Um, it, it, it's not Wait, just – they have it, to say, take my hand? No, I said they don't have to say that. Oh. I've said it over and over again. They don't have to say, take my hand or grab my hand. Well, in both of yours, you're explaining that they're saying, take my hand. I didn't know if that was why I was in jail. All right. Okay. You're no, no, no. That's not why you're in jail. It's just because you didn't do the topic. <laughs> I did the topic. Okay, <laughs> I thought I did the topic. <laughs> uh, it's it's because uh, it's it's the way that it's it's what's happening right now in that particular moment is that Frodo is about to give up and just commit suicide, and Sam, who has looked after him for so long and has been so steadfast, is not only saying to take my hand, grab my hand, but don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. And so Frodo, who's you know lost part of his part of his other hand, finally does decide. All right, uh, I will I will choose life or whatever. And he and he grabs Sam's hand. So um, technically, Gollum does grab Frodo's hand. He just does it with his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. He tooth grabs it. Choose it. So Kelly, like you could, is that your number one pick, Kelly Wand, or do you have something else for us for grab my take my hand? No, but I was thinking it'd be a cool sequel. If Gollum just became the new Sauron, and like, isn't that uh, what happens in Silmarillion? It's a little retcon. That's a prequel. God, <laughs> my number one Wait, is. Um, nothing, hold on, in the Tolkien universe, nothing happens after Lord of the Rings. Like, we don't know anything. Tolkien no, has never don't. said anything about what happens after the end of Return of the King. As far as we know, Middle Earth explodes the second Sam puts his daughter on his lap. Which is what I kind of think does happen. I was not aware of that. All right. Well, that's okay. But in the book, Saruman takes over the Shire at the end. Oh, the story of the scourging of the Shire. Right. And that's not yeah. in the movie. Yeah. No, scouring. Scourging. <laughs> the scourging of the shower. Scourging of the shower. Yeah. Let's clean the shower out. Can you guys get me some. Scourge Ajax? does not mean clean. We're going to scourge it. <laughs> scourge is a different word. So when Gandalf's staff grabbed his hand when he fell from the bar. <laughs> now, my number one is um, in cl at the beginning of Cliffhanger, 
No, Dad, come it. Oh, you're such a jerk. Why are you taking two of mine? Wait, that one's a good one. So I know that was my you... favorite one. I love that scene. Well, you got to pick a different one from Cliffhanger. Oh, okay, I'll find a good one. It's... Okay. All right. <laughs> Can I pick the handshake from Predator? Uh... If you want to keep griefing me, go ahead. <laughs> what? I'm not griefing you because I really thought these were good picks. <laughs> I mean, the Cliffhanger one, which Kelly's about to explain. I, I don't think you can take issue with this one. That no, is no, the cl- pick. Cliffhanger one is the is the penultimate one. Uh, Lord of the Rings is the penultimate one, Dingus. <laughs> Do you not know what penultimate means? Like scourge? Come on! I honestly don't. What does penultimate mean? Penultimate's next to last. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, because mine would be the last pick. So, if ultimate, like, that's the ultimate orgasm. Yeah, because mine is going to be the last pick. Just, so anyway, just ultimate orgasm. Uh, well, at the beginning of cliffhanger, uh, Janine. What's that girl's Janine Turner? Yep. Oh. The girl from Northern Exposure. Yeah, that's Janine Turner. Thing. You're right. Oh, wait. It's not, it's not her in this scene, though. Forget what I just said. <laughs> that's so that's just I watched the scene and didn't know if she was anyone famous. Because she's, ba- I mean, you know, she's barely in the movie. She's Michael Rooker's girlfriend. That's how I know. Right. Doesn't she have to grab Stallone's hand at the end? And then no, she dies. <laughs> that's, the, that's part of what's awesome about that. No, no, Janine Turner doesn't die, though, does she? No, no, but the girl who dies... Oh, you might right, have right. a different yes. scene, then. Because okay. the one at the beginning where... You, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm talking oh. about that scene, too. But that's actually my point. I'll just go... I'll make this fast. I'll oh, like, on. later in the movie, he redeems himself by not letting go of the, the heroine. Right. I, but, right, right. Okay, this isn't my number one, but it's it's kind of... It, it, it's uh, critical to explaining why this, this is my number one. Is in Waldo Pepper, the Robert Redford movie. Yeah, sure. There's a scene where um, a girl's doing stunts on a plane or something, and <laughs> he has to grab her hand. Yeah. yeah, she's swing walking, but he fails to save her. And according to William Goldman's book, Adventures in the Screenwriting Trade, he said that's why the movie bombed. It was because the audience couldn't accept that Redford had failed to save. The, the woman. Yeah, they didn't like bleak bleakness no, movies in the seventies. In the seventies, right, right. movies had to be chipper. Yeah, exactly. bleak was really not appropriate. The hero that. has to be. Yeah, you can't <laughs> not save the lady. But then in Cliffhanger, when that it, happens, that's I also, go, oh, it's, that's Susan Sarandon, isn't it? Yeah, Susan it's just not too. some lady. It's Susan Sarandon. <laughs> well, I was just trying to, you know. Right. Uh, I meant for his character. He doesn't know it's Susan Sarandon. No, that's a good point, actually. You're right on that. Uh, but in Cliffhanger, Stallone fails to save the girl at the beginning. And and no one in the audience was like, all right, that's okay. You don't have to save the girl anymore. We're cool with it. And so that's when I realized that we come there as a, as a nation. We've come together and go, you know. It's okay to let go. Her. Okay to let go of the girl. <laughs> so. That's my number one. And that's On the why. contrary, like what's awesome about that scene is just how hysterical and scre- like she's screaming about not wanting to die, yeah, and it's just it's not a, it's not that contrived like uh, you, you know no one is being stoic and heroic. Well, he is, but it's not you know she she's just she's acting like it's terrible. really happening. Yeah, exactly. Like she doesn't know she's in a movie in an action movie. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Normally, she's, someone she's, gets she's in their hand. Yeah, she right, right. Exactly. Turner. Normally when you get in your hand grabbed, you know you're in an action movie and you behave appropriately and you know you're going to be saved. But this girl has no idea. Uh, she doesn't know that it's – and if she knew that it was Sylvester Stallone coming towards right, her, she'd exactly. be like, oh, cool, I'm fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like Dwayne Johnson coming for me in a helicopter. Oh, you will not see that, by the way. That will never happen in a Dwayne Johnson movie. He would have saved her. If Cliffhanger had been – if there's a Cliffhanger remake, 
no one's going to fall in the first part of the movie with Dwayne Johnson if he's in it. Uh, like, does he save everybody in San Andreas? He doesn't save anybody in San Andreas. He saves people who count. Oh, his family. <laughs> right. People he's related to. Okay. Right. The ones who matter. That's why he's heroic. Right. That's why he has that job, because they can rely on him to, to save at least people he's uh, having sex with. He's the only one who can do that trick with the helicopter where it ducks underneath the overhang. Uh, Roy Scheider in Blue Thunder. Uh, oh, good point. He could have done it, too. <laughs> flies it into a garage or something. All right, Dingus, what is your favorite uh, grab-my-hand moment in a movie? What is the right. ultimate example of this? What should I have picked instead? Wait, what was Tom's? Mine's Cliffhanger. I love that his, moment. His is also cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. And I actually tried to do the topic, contrary to what Dingus says, I th- and I love that moment. And I, I think it's a, it's, you know, well, it's, it's a great it's also, sort of like the, the thing in, in Force Awakens, it's, it's a great reversal of that usual trope from an action movie. Right. Where, yeah, of course the guy saves her. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's an early, like, I don't remember anything else about Cliffhanger, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but it's a, it's a very, Hard I remember hit. being really violent in a good way. Like I kind of right. liked that. Yeah. I remember doesn't uh, a lot of people get shot in the face. Is it? So. Yeah, John Lithgow's the villain, right? Yeah, and Rooker shoots people. There's like a football. It's just very bro. There's it's a lot Rooker's, of like, it's Rooker's girlfriend who dies at the beginning. That's the problem. Right. Uh, he resents. He resents Gabe, and I only remember right. it's Gabe because she's screaming his name. He resents Gabe for not saving his girlfriend. Yeah. It's character development too, really. And I and I really do appreciate that. And and we've heard Tom's pick through the glass. Like think we're over here with our phones, and we can hear Tom talking about it through the glass um, in the in the jail cell. And I really do like that pick for cliffhanger. And and now that we've heard about it, then you can go, you know you can go back to your <laughs> through cell the glass, and uh, and uh, then we'll talk to your counsel next week. Well, I just want to say Pussy Riot is still doing music, if that means anything. So there. Ooh. Doesn't mean anything since we're not in Russia and we're in America. I feel like I'm in Russia. You can I feel do. whatever you want to feel. That's what Putin says to the, to the people he arrests as well. Imogen That's not what he says. What he says is, I'm getting on my horse. See ya. I think it's still upset about your number three. I know. Well, yeah, I'm in the number two. No, I'm not upset about them. I'm, I just don't think anyway. – I'm just disappointed. Yeah, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm not disappointed. <laughs> don't get mad. Get even. <laughs> yeah, I think it's get even. What's, show, me, show me up here. What's the best example of someone grabbing someone else's hand in all okay, of movie so, Uh The best one for me is Guardians of the Galaxy because of how it relates to the beginning of the movie and, the, and how it um, actually uh, connects – uh, the end of the movie, as if holding hands, one might say. Um, so at the end of the movie in Guardians of the Galaxy, um, what actually saves an entire planet, people, and even the galaxy and the universe is the fact that the, the Star-Lord has this gem, but he can't quite do it on his own. And then she says, take my hand. I don't even know if she says that. I might be making that up, but uh, she grabs his hand, um, and this increases his power. And then Drax uh, comes over and puts his hand on his shoulder, and and then uh, Rocket Raccoon grabs Drax's hand, and all of this increases their power to make this gem uh, completely disintegrate um, Ronin. 
Um, but I, I love how what happens is before he grabs Mora's hand, he's again seeing that moment from the hospital in the beginning of the movie where he didn't take his mother's hand, where everybody's saying, including his grandfather, take her hand, take her hand, take my hand. And he can't. She's dying. Um, and as a little kid who's 11 years old, he, he can't do it. He's totally freaked out, and he runs out of, and he runs out of the room after she dies, um, and he's just in such grief. And then he gets swept off into the galaxy, and you think, is this just going to be some stupid, um, really facile? He lost his mother, and this isn't going to relate to how his character and and is or is this movie going to be a dour movie about superheroes or super dark? But the the way that James Gunn balances the the darkness and the light of this movie is so perfect and the way that that balances out at the end of the movie where uh when she's reaching out for him he sees his mother and he feels that i now i can reach out and take your hand at this moment where i am not only becoming um a part of my father who is this angel apparently i have no still have no idea what that means uh but i am also being able to connect with you there's this weird beautiful family synergy because later on when they're in the ship he talks about family and they all kind of become a family and so that that beautiful moment where all of them are are grabbing hands when he has that gem my absolute favorite grab my hand moment and for our listeners in China, I should point out that the movie Dingus is talking about is Interplanetary Unusual Attacking Team. Exactly. So Tom is actually absolutely right. And I, I should have called it that. You're right. Yeah. Well, just, you know, there's there's a, about one and a half billion people there, Dingus. So we don't want to – Guardians them. are defenders, and they made them into attackers. Well, in, in, in the word in Chinese, I, I, they probably don't have a distinction. That's so racist. <laughs> that is one of the weirdest parts of that movie is when I was constantly thinking, how are we going to work this title in and why is this called that? And it is a little awkward when he says, we're the Guardians of the Galaxy, bitch. It's weird. It's no worse no, than the funny. Avengers, though. No, it's it's better than the Avengers, I think, yeah. Because they still haven't avenged the Earth yet, as far as I know. I, they I keep fucking it up. <laughs> uh, all right, Dingus, I hope to have some company in jail. What do the listeners have for <laughs> grabbing – hands being grabbed? Grab my hand. All right. Uh, Paul Weimer starts. He says, using Tom Chick math, I am still serving my 17-day prison sentence. <laughs> so, oh, good. So I do have company in prison. Sweet. Yeah. I, I even set it up myself. Conjugal. Awesome. No, what, but why conjugal? What? Kelly Wand. Oh. Oh what? I didn't. Who said I didn't? I missed, I didn't understand what that meant. Tom put so many people in jail last week. He's going to have a virtual- yeah. He's a police state, and yeah. that's what's so funny to me about how he just, as you say, raped your top. He's going to have an Algonquin <laughs> round table. There. Yeah, I may have been means. over the edge there. I was pretty what? with him. I shouldn't have. The Algonquin. Oh, yeah, how dare you call me Algonquin? Yeah, Algonquin is a little a little harsh. Yeah, so, so Paul's number three is in the Fellowship of the Ring. Frodo implores the drowning Sam to grab his hand as he tries to swim after Frodo, who is leaving the Fellowship in a boat. Nerd alert! <laughs> uh, Paul's number two in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Indiana Jones, The Rock, implores Elsa, Allison Duty, trapped in an earthquake fissure. And trying to reach the fallen Holy Grail to grab his hand. Sadly, she fails to, and her greed for the Grail dooms her instead. 
I wouldn't mind being trapped in an Isla Fisher. <laughs> Paul Weimer's number one. In the climax of North by Northwest, Henry Thornhill. Oh. Cary Grant. Uh, that's a great one. Yeah. Dingus. That's Grandpa movie would be a great one. one. Yeah. That's your favorite. Ah, oh, that's a good one. Damn yeah, I, I I do love that as a transition, but I didn't yeah. I didn't oh. use it as a as a hand grab. Uh, implores Eva Marie Saint to grab his hand as she dangles from the cliff face of Mount Rushmore. The way the scene then switches to a flash forward of a less threatening situation of him sometime later in the train car, imploring her to take his hand, is a subtle but lovely scene shift. I agree with that. Never has more been accomplished from a grab my hand moment. If you're going to go value utilitarian, that's the best grab. <laughs> Next, we have Grant Stewart. I think Dingus had hoped for something a little more heartfelt, but all uh-huh. my hand grabs appear as rescues. Oh. I hope you can deal with that. Here's my three <laughs> best. <laughs> Number three, Scary Movie 2. Uh, guys. Oh, no. Uh, I'm listening. <laughs> Wait, Chris Elliott's hand? Oh, this is a good one, actually. Wait a minute. You've seen Scary Movie 2, Kelly Wong? Yeah, and it's really bad. It's a piece of shit, but, like, this one thing is kind of funny. Wow. All right. All right I hope you would describe it, because I don't know this movie. So Grant says, the butler tries to save one of his guests who is hanging on for his life by offering him the little hand. This phrase is still in my day-to-day vernacular. I thought I'd kick it off with something intellectual. What? He has like a little hand, like like a like a deformed like, hand. A, yeah, he's a deformed hand, and he's just doing gross shit with it for the whole movie. Like that's the only. It's just a running gag. Like he's because he's serving them food, and he just keeps putting his hand in everything. And then he and David Cross have some. Like David Cross is in a wheelchair, so they keep making fun of each other's disabilities. Like, oh, why don't you lift me? Stuff like that. But then at the end, he's he's going to fall off the uh, – it's a parody of The Haunting, I think. And then he's going to fall off the roof. And then I thought it was David Cross trying to say it, but I don't think that's true. He's saying like, no, your other hand. I can't. It's too far. And he's talking like uh, Chris Elliott's doing the guy from Poltergeist 2, that reverend guy. But with a deformed wow. hand. And he's a butler. So – in Lord I'm of the always, Rings, uh, The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies, they have to fight uh, a troll with a little tiny deformed hand. So there, with just one. His other hand is normal-sized. Yeah, Battle of Five Armies. That's in the fourth army. Because when trolls regenerate, it takes a while for their hand to... Ah, that's what happened to like, this one, then. Like a uh, lizard tail. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dinkus, is that what you're trying to... Uh, is that what you thought, was hoping I'd say? That's what I was hoping you would say. I, I just... Uh, thought at some point that Chris Elliott had said something about it being his stronger hand, even though it was his little hand. No, that that one joke's funny. All right. You can always find a funny joke in a bad movie. That's also, that, that troll thing that Tom just mentioned, it just makes me – it reminds me of that because I watched that whole last sequence of Return of the King. <laughs> um, and this huge troll just uh, keeps putting his foot on Aragorn's head. Oh, yeah. I like that part. And, and you see, that? you see Gandalf going ah, and you see uh, Legolas like going life. ah, but you see the troll just putting his foot on Aragorn's head, and I'm like, is what's going to happen, Aragorn? We don't know how trolls think. Yes. Uh, in the movie Green Room, Imogen Poots does that to Big Justin at one point. <laughs> she just puts her booted foot on his head. She seems to be enjoying it. Yeah. I'm jealous. True story of Big Justin. Yeah. 
Uh, Grant Stewart's number two pick, Cliffhanger. Uh-huh. The opening sequence involves some rather spectacular free climbing followed by a totally contrived equipment failure. I don't know why, but this was the first movie that sprang to mind as there's a long sequence of Stallone trying to rescue an extra. Oh, how dare he? It's Michael with, Rooker's girlfriend. With Michael a one-handed. Rooker's, yeah, Michael Rooker's going to be pissed off at Grant Stewart now. Janet Jackson had an equipment failure. With, with a one-handed save. The thing is, once he gets a hold of her, like, there's no yeah. way he's going to be able to pull her up. Like, she's screwed. I mean, it's, it's – In cliffhanger? Yeah, what does she think is going to happen? Like, he's not strong enough to, like, lift yeah, her. Yeah, that's true. Well, no, yeah, but that's, that's – It's a losing that's... situation from the get-go. Well, that's why this this topic and this cliche is so goofy is that um, you can't grab somebody's hand and pick them up with one hand. That's impossible. Nobody can do that. What about in Gravity, the movie? Uh, that's a good point. You win this Isn't around, Kelly Wand. Isn't that all grab my hand moments? Like for two hours? Oh, Grant Stewart, except for this person. This person can do it. Grant Stewart's number one, Blade Runner. Yeah, because he's not a person. Um, so nobody actually requests the taking of anybody's hand, but it is written all over Harrison Ford's face as his broken fingers struggle to cling to the beam on the side of the building, and Roy Batty looks down on him as he deliberates over his fate. Harrison Ford's facial expressions throughout the movie are such a great feature of his performance, but his voice is so flat. I can understand complaints about his acting. I would posit, however, that Dwayne Johnson yes, would be on. too heavy to be caught by Rucker Hauer. As such, would have died had he been cast as Decker. Yeah, Grant Stewart. You have Grant Stewart. Well, yeah, he definitely has a point there. That's, Don't dangle from stuff if you're. That's big. the one instance. Yeah, where Dwayne Johnson definitely wouldn't have worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have been great. So no. why does he do that? Why does Decker? I mean, why does uh? Why does Roy Batty do that? Because uh, uh, replicants to. can learn compassion. Right. Wait, you're asking that, Dingus, or that's... No, I'm just saying. Because it's the same reason he has All the life. hand and lets him go. The voiceover explains it. Um, all right, we'll save that for next week, Grant. Uh, Arthur Giovanangeli. Uh, Kelly, help me out. Giovanangeli, aye. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. Uh, number you three... Batman. Kim Basinger is hanging from a ledge when the Joker offers to lend her a hand. <laughs> when she takes it, the hand, which turns out to be fake, comes <laughs> off, and the Joker bursts out laughing. That is a good joke. <laughs> All right, I'm going to save you. Ah! <laughs> Arthur's number two. I'd laugh if I was her. Blade Runner. Deckard is hanging from a ledge and actually begins to fall, but his arm is caught by Roy, a surprising action since Roy was the one who originally put Decker on the ledge. Uh, number one, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. After Gollum and the Ring have fallen into the fires of Mount Doom, Sam grabs Frodo's hand and tries to stop him from suffering the same fate. There's a moment when it seems that Frodo might give up and let go, but Sam, his faithful gardener, convinces him to take his hand. Uh, Scott Andrews. Scott writes, Grab my hand. Quote, Take my hand. Gamora, Gamora to Peter Quill during the final fight of Guardians of the Galaxy when he's holding the Infinity Stone. Uh, the line echoes Peter's mother's final words in the opening scene. I love the mix of heroic and comedic when Rocket's tiny raccoon grabs on a Drax's finger moments later. The listeners seem to understand what you meant by the topic. Possibly. 
So far. Um, Nick D. Hi, guys. Wasn't sure if these had to have a character actually say, take my hand. I made it clear they don't have to say that. Or just offer it. So it might be in danger here, but here it goes. Number three, cliffhanger. Climax of the classic opening sequence where Stallone drops the girl occurs because she is unable to reach up to grab his hand. I love that is an inversion of the standard hero moment where he rescues the girl by grabbing her hand at the last minute. Nick D's number two. All right, Tom. I mean, it's a great one. I really thought you were going to pick it as well. I swear. I'm not. It's not that I didn't try to do the topic. I loved it. And I, well, you know what I'm like, going to say. Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Uh, Nick. I mean, at least I have company in jail. En- though. Enjoy your time with Tom. You guys can play uh, Lost Cities or something in there. Wait, what? I Someone like how it? after Finn, yeah, surprisingly, after Finn has been wow. trying to grab Ray's hand for the entire chase sequence on Jakku, and she keeps pulling away, we get a scene where she offers him her hand just in case we were ever in doubt about who the hero of this movie is. Oh, so he's talking about when she offers... I don't remember when she offers him her hand. I kind of do. Tom didn't pick it. Tom didn't mention that. No, I like the the reversal of the trope, yeah. All right, good. So, all right, Nick's going to just have to write you letters in jail since he did the moment where she offers him her hand. Um, It's like uh, Ted Bundy. (laughs) What? Uh, a lot of marriage proposals. Uh, Nick's number one. I'll give you a quote. Come along, Mrs. Thornhill. Uh, I'm sure everyone has picked this already, but in North by Northwest, I love the fact that we don't actually see Cary Grant pull Ava Marie Saint up to safety. Hitchcock just totally skips over the unnecessary scenes and takes <laughs> us right to the money shot. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Tom. Um, finally, we have Chris Parkinson. I tried to pick moments where there was a sense of peril for this one. Number three for Chris. Uh, Give me your hands. It's okay. Give me your hands. In Speed, Keanu Reeves tells a woman who is trapped in an elevator to give him her hands so that he can pull her to safety. Um, Does she blow up? Is that where Jeff Daniels dies? I don't know. I don't remember Speed well enough to know. Okay. Uh, Number... Uh... Yeah, Kelly Wan, it seems like a movie you would remember well. Yeah. I remember Speed pretty well. Maybe you just know the Jason Patrick one. Oh, young Jason Patrick. <laughs> uh, Chris, Chris is number two. Tim, I won't tell anyone you threw up. Just give me your hand. Oh. Oh, yeah. I was thinking the second one would be... What Stand by kept. me? This is in Jurassic Park, the first movie. Um, I forgot that that happens. Uh, in Jurassic Park, Sam Neill... I just saw this movie last week. In Jurassic Park, Sam Neill tries to cajole Tim into taking his hand so that he can pull him out of the Land Rover that is stuck in the tree. I have to say that the in the first movie, uh, they were Ford Explorers. But in the first book, they were Toyota Land Cruisers. Is he uh, going to jail? No. Oh. He, he just he he did not capitalize Land Rover, so he's oh, right. he not just, trying to buzz market, so right. that's fine. Just in but, a generic sense, something that moves over the land, yeah. Exactly. But I was totally thinking of that moment in um in or of those moments in the second movie in Lost World. The trailer that, set piece. In the trailer trailer sequence where 
but the main thing is is Vince Vaughn trying to get down before the uh I don't know. I don't think people have each other's hands though. Aren't they all on that rope that yeah. uh, that Richard uh, Schiff is pulling well, up on his jeep? But but uh, Jeff Goldblum is also trying to scramble down to Juliana, not Margulies, uh, Julianne, Julianne Moore. Right, right on the glass. Um, to grab her. Um, oh, okay. Before that thing falls to the glass to shatter it, and she and it, he ends up grabbing her backpack. I think. Uh, anyway. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, number one for Chris Markinson. Uh Sally, give me your hand. Give me your hand, Sally. In 28 weeks later, Sally isn't able to grab hold of Jacob's hand oh, to pull her up a second left of the barn. Yeah. Oh, it winds up less than ideal situation. I mean, we don't know those characters, but I feel bad for them all anyway. I do too, and I missed that moment because I was just... I don't know, and I, and I watched 28 Weeks Later this week because I wanted to watch Imogen Poots, and I got caught up in the movie, but I didn't I didn't catch that moment, Chris. That's a great moment. Huh. Yeah, it's where, like, Sally's the old woman whose husband has just sacrificed himself to hold the door shut, and then they, they burst in and are eating or tearing apart her husband, and they're climbing up the ladder to the trap door in the, the barn, and, uh, and she basically, I think she's, like, lost her will to live. No, because she's definitely wanting to get up there. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And it was. It's really weird to watch that movie, Tom. Um, thinking about uh, what, how we felt after seeing it, and and how, um, how the dad's character actually works into the movie, uh, in the rules of the movie. Right, right. It's so weird. It's so hard to watch. I mean, I love the movie. I think it's so well put together. Um. But it's really hard to to figure that out too. Yeah, it's after it. In a movie that's that good, I'm okay with. Uh, and not okay. In a movie that's that good, I don't mind as much if someone wants to break the rules. <laughs> yeah, and and I and what the thing is, I constantly find myself trying to justify it. Yeah, I don't think uh, it works. Just let that go, Dingus. Don't take that. Yeah, you, sometimes you just gotta let go. All right, that's a good point. Do you guys have any runners up? I do. Uh, um, Anton Yelchin uh, to the neo-Nazis with the red laces outside the door. Yeah, I kind of was thinking that too, actually. <laughs> they didn't, he didn't want them to grab his hand. That's true. Okay, good point. That wouldn't have worked. But they do anyway. They, and they're not trying to grab it. They're trying to take it, you see. Right. <laughs> but they don't take it. No, unfortunately. No. But I also love that, that moment where quick. Patrick Stewart says, I'm, I'm getting hoarse. Can I? Yeah. <laughs> and also where he's like, uh, I'd rather you didn't throw the gun. It was a gift. <laughs> he's doing that whole thing. Um, After saying the whole thing, is, it's unregistered. We right, right. Bit of it. <laughs> it was a gift. Um, I don't, isn't that do the guys... gun he draws at the end? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know, Dingus. I think it is. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. I can't believe I didn't catch that. Very nice. Um I don't. Do you guys know that in the movie they didn't do any special prosthetic stuff for the dangly hand? They just huh. had him loosely hold his wrist and wiggle it while they had, uh, you know, just prosthetic gore along his wrist. But that wasn't. That just looks so disarming. But it wasn't a fake hand. Get it? It was actually. It was very good. Very good, Taiwan. It was actually Anton Yeltsin's arm, just holding his 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 wrist limp and wiggling it around. Because I was convinced, oh, that's Acting. that's gross. It's a terrible, like a hand would never dangle that loosely. But uh, in an interview, he just says they, you know, they got a lot of mileage out of him just holding his 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 wrist limply. Um, uh, hmm. 
Oh, so anyway, other uh, runners up. I, I didn't have. Oh, uh, I had Michael Caine in the hand at the uh-huh. end. Trying to like, uh, I thought this was hoping this was going to be your number one. <laughs> where they're trying to shoot the hand and it keeps skittering around. He's like, grab it. That can't hold up. No, it's not as good as I remembered. Yeah. They should make a sequel though with another body part. The foot. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, how can the same thing be happening to the same guy, right. same body? <laughs> But, like, some body parts, you wouldn't care if they were cursed and came back to haunt you. Like, a nose isn't going to fuck with you. Right. Yeah, who wants to deal with an elbow? Yeah, the earlobe. Yeah, just, fuck yeah. you, ear. That's yeah. what I'd say. Nice try. <laughs> Suck it. Yeah. Fuck Off. you, ear. There's a reason that like Poe yeah, po did not write the telltale earlobe for a reason. That would not have... Even a foot wouldn't be that impressive. Yeah. Because he needs the leg to kick you. You know? Yep. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Do we have any others? Any other runners up? I think we've said enough. All right. Uh... Kelly Wand, next week uh, is your three by three. We should let let the listeners know we've got a minor scheduling hitch. So Mm -hmm. if you normally wait until the last minute to send in a three by three, uh, don't do that for this upcoming topic. Make sure you get your picks in before uh, Friday, July 22nd at 9 p.m. Pacific. Normally, you've got until the following Sunday night. Uh, but And you will again. It's just this one time. Right, right. Just this one time. Uh, whatever Kelly Wan is about to introduce, you're probably going to think, oh, yeah, I've got a great idea. I'm going to send that in to 3x3 at quarter2three.com. But make sure you get it to us by July 22nd, 9 p.m. Pacific. All right, Kelly Wan, so what are they going to be sending in? The thing you'll be sending in before Friday night at 9 o'clock Pacific. or whatever. Pacific. Pacific right? Thank you. Yeah. Is uh, – Three best scenes with a microphone, because that's what Green Room made me think about. So Kelly, one I don't hate this. Yeah, it's good because yes. I had a really shitty yeah. one lined up, and then I, I thought that was the last yeah. I don't hate it yet, though. Just so you know, I might change. Well, my mind. and I'm, you know, it can be stuff they say, or that, it can be. Know, I, I, Oh, okay. All I mean, right. Well, okay. Actually, you know, go ahead if you wanted to elaborate, but I kind of feel like I got it. Go ahead. I shouldn't. It's your topic. Go ahead. Like if you needed to say more stuff, they say or or it can be other stuff. Okay. I just like how it scans. Three best scenes with the microphone. Three best scenes with the microphone. Gonna hang it up. Gonna up. dangle it out. A couple of up and coming Becks over here. Very nice. You guys want to join my my band, Pussy Riot? <laughs> yeah. The, the acoustics in solitary confinement I hear to die for. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see uh, a Star Trek movie next week. Ooh! <laughs> What's so, it called? Beyond. Why do all the titles suck? Um, they didn't use the old Star Trek movie titles weren't even. I didn't. I didn't like the Next Generation stuff, but those titles sounded like. Star Trek titles. It has honestly never occurred to me whether any suck or don't suck. Beyond doesn't suck. Craft of good Cons, one. all right. Isn't it? Into Darkness isn't good? No. Because <laughs> it's a whole sentence that I don't understand. Star Trek Into Darkness. Are you oh, telling me? Oh, it used me? to be something like Star Trek. Uh, yeah. You, or... Is Trek a verb there? Yeah, I used to. that's how I used to say it. Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness. How I do you feel I, about I, the motion picture? Uh, it's a little weird. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I, you know, there's other motion pictures, so you're already sort of not the first, aren't you? 
Old Lego Angry <laughs> where no man's gone before. We made a movie. I yeah. Okay. Sound, sound like Ben Foster. All right. Well, uh, join us for that next week. Uh, Star Trek oh, Beyond and Kelly Wan's three by three of your favorite scenes with microphones. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Mlinsdiski. It's Christian Moroski. And we also had Kelly Wand. Engage! just want to point out this song is very appropriate considering that I'm in jail. Yeah. Maybe not that part so much. Hey, Dingus, will Tom be out on good behavior if he doesn't drop the soap? Yeah. Sorry, I almost obliterated you, man. Oh. I swore an oath to keep it secret. This lie has kept Apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years. We were afraid if the Queen's heart was destroyed, you'd lose your immortality or die. That wasn't your choice to make! See, that is good dating advice. Thank you, that was a cover. Ah, <laughs> uh, green room. <laughs>